0: Set. Who's his arms at the next Oh, he's a bear in Oh, my God. Oh. You see? You see? You live by the sword. You die by the sword, baby. Hogan's out there now. Hogan. Hogan is on. over on right. Anderson. Now the Hogan. on. has got a throw.
1: And how you get respect is when you're sucker-punched by a 450-pound gorilla. You get knocked down, you get back up, and then you stomp his head into the ground and kick him like he was a football. That's how you get respect.
0: Wait a minute! Wait! Wait! What so, so are you doing? Easy!
2: Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to January of 1996, volume two of this much show. Volume one is the WWF show looking at the Royal Rumble and volume three is all your ECW action. We're here to discuss the Clash of the Champions amongst other things. I've been joined first by Steve Harverson. Steve, hello.
3: Hey, great to be on the podcast at my debut.
2: Indeed, indeed. And Rory McNamara. Rory, hello.
3: Hello the guys.
2: Uh, Rory, kick us off with the news.
4: Okie dokie, I oh, will indeed. Randy Savage is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, beating Ric Flair in the opening of the January 22nd Nitro. The change not so coincidentally happened against the Raw show following the Royal Rumble. But if the idea was to draw a rating, it didn't quite work, as Raw came off the pay-per-view with a 2.9 rating to Nitro's 2.7.
3: WCW were left considering legal action after a series of segments on uh, Monday Night Raw called Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room. among segments mocking the age and ability of the WCW main eventers, the WWF took shots at WCW's steroid testing policy, which didn't go down well. While it's not thought it will lead to any legal action, it did cause significant commotion within the company. And we'll have more on this story later in the show.
4: Bobby Heenan swore live on television, saying, What the fuck are you doing? January's Clash of the Champions. The incident happened when Brian Pillman, now playing an unhinged character, came up behind Heenan and tried to take his jacket off. Heenan, unsighted, thought he was being attacked. Heenan got halfway up the entrance ramp before turning back and apologising for the language, but he was clearly taken aback. It wasn't the only incident for the newly changed Pillman character, who even can be seen in an episode of Nitro flipping the middle finger in the direction of a fan.
3: Class of the Champions from Caesars Palace drew a big TV rating, uh, drawing the same record-breaking 4.5 rating that the August 94 show did, uh, which was headlined by Hogan versus Ric Flair. The show, headlined by Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan against Flair and the Giants, was billed with the returns of both the Road Warriors and the lovely Miss Elizabeth. On the card itself, there were wins for Dean Malenko, Brian Pillman, Lex Luger, Conan and Flair and the Giants. The opening match between the debuting public enemy and the Nasty Boys went into a double disqualification. The show also featured a series of segments ahead of the wedding of Colonel Rob Parker and Sister Sherry, but of course, it being wrestling, the wedding was stopped when Sherry got into a fight with Medusa.
4: While the news was good about the clash, the preliminary Starcade buy rate came in at a 0.36, which works out at approximately 83,000 buys. You will recall that WCW, concerned about a potential lack of interest, added the world title match into the equation a few weeks before the show. And if you need an illustration of how much things have changed, the 1994 Starcade, headlined by Hogan vs Butcher, did a 0.7 buy rate, considered bad at the time. But if there is one saving grace, the show did at least do slightly better than WWF's In Your House show in December. Eric Bischoff describes the In Your House shows as a two-hour TV show with a price tag.
3: WCW turned a profit for the first time in history in 1995, providing you're willing to massage the figures and account for some other things in some other years. The profit, said to be a small one, includes Hulk Hogan's salary reportedly being put onto Turner's books, along with factoring in 1994 buy rates for both Halloween Havoc and Starcade, which did significantly better than '95's efforts. The numbers also amount to uh, a video game sale. Turner Broadcasting now paying a fee for programming, along with the release of a number of talents, including Steve Austin, Vader, Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat.
4: Rick Flair threatened to quit WCW after the clash, citing, amongst other things, the direction of his character and his push. After losing the world title, the finish of the main event was switched to see Flair using brass knuckles to pin Savage. Flair even got a victory over Hogan the following week, again though thanks to using Miss Elizabeth's shoe. With tensions high between the WWF and WCW, it's thought now is quite a good time for talent to leverage new deals using quitting threats. And there was also a report that suggested Flair may have got a bonus out of the whole thing.
3: Talk this month that even crept onto television was the potential of Nitro moving permanently to Las Vegas to tape shows once a fortnight. MMA fighter Dan Severin, who uh, seems to be negotiating with everyone these days, has been talking with WCW about joining them. Mean Gene Oakland claimed Jim Ross had called Atlanta wanting a return and also issued a retraction over his Ricky Steamboat retirement story. And finally, to uh, avoid the reversal of the Medusa situation, WCW have said belts must be left with company officials between TV tapings.
2: For the ratings for the month uh, well, starting on Christmas Day actually in December, uh, Raw didn't air, Nitro unopposed drew a 2.5, exactly the same 2.5 that it drew on New Year's Day Uh, Raw picked it with its Raw Bowl show with a 2.6, on to January the 8th, Raw did a 3.0 against Nitro's 2.8 January the 15th Nitro hammered Raw 3.5 to 2.4 that lasted just a week as we get to the Raw after The Royal Rumble, uh, Raw Drawer 2.9 to Nitro's 2.7. And that's where we'll end the month with this month's ratings. The 29th will be revealed on next month's show. Let's go now to mean Gene Okerlund.
5: All right, I thank you very much, gentlemen. Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan. Well, I said this was wilder than my New Year's Eve party last night. Close, but no cigar holster.
6: We know something, brother? It seems like me and the Macho Man... His business has become my business, and my business has become his business. And the way things are right now, brother, with Ric Flair, with your belt, my belt, and Arn Anderson as the Enforcer backing him up, I say, if they've got any guts, Flair and the Enforcer Double-A, how about let's get it on next Monday Nitro, brothers?
5: Wait a minute. Ric Flair, Arn Anderson is a tag team to beat the two
6: of you. What about it, Macho? We got some unfinished business. Me with Arn Anderson and you with the Nature Boy, crisscross whatever works. Nitro next Monday, if you got Gump 1 in your body, you'll accept the challenge because we're about to trip the light fantastic and we got secret weapons you never even thought about. Ooh, yeah! Macho man! Don't tell the brothers about our secret weapons, but monkey see, brother. Monkey do. And next time you get in our way, We might have a pair of nuts ourselves, brother, but you know something, Macho Man? Fee, fi, fo, fum, that big, nasty, stinky one. The only way I can get through to him is to get rid of Flair and Arn Anderson before I can chop the beanstalk down. So if they've got guts, Macho Man, you and I are going to go to infinity and beyond next Monday night when we tear him apart, brother forever in the day problems problems how are we gonna solve them one at a time next monday is not gonna be just a manic monday they got the guts good gut check gut check nature boy let's do it
5: that sounds to me like we're gonna have a match next monday night here on nitro
6: well you know as far as i'm concerned the four blind mice of benoit pillman Flair, on and anderson if they don't have enough guts by themselves, we'll take on all four of those little Shetland ponies, brother. What are they gonna do, Macho Man? When we destroy, them, brother, what you gonna do?
5: All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. We have got action.
2: We opened Nitro on January the first, nineteen ninety-six, with Randy Savage looking for revenge on Arn Anderson. Steve McMichael claims he's getting tired of all this interference. He's not the only one. After a ref bump, Anderson goes to strike Savage with the brass knucks. Savage grabs them, nails Anderson and wins the match. Hill and Benoit come out and go nuts at the referee. We move on to the slightly perplexing pairing of heel Lord Stephen Regal against heel Chris Benoit. Match ended with Benoit attempting a slingshot crossbody to the outside. Regal moved, Benoit landed hard and that was enough for Regal to get the pin. Pillman comes out after the match and criticises both Anderson and Benoit for losing, making the Horseman being 0-2 since Flair's victory. Understandably, both Anderson and Benoit are unhappy, not only at the comments but also about Pillman's ability to incite things with people who aren't directly related to the goal of protecting the world title. Out comes Zodiac and the Taskmaster. Giant charges out and pulls them back. They speculate Hart, Luger and Giant may have ulterior motives for keeping the Dungeon of Doom away from the horsemen. Next up is Sting and Luger versus the Super Assassins. Craig Pittman interrupts the announcers and asks Steve McMichael for guidance as both transition from amateur to pro. McMichael reassures Pittman that his army background is enough for him to make it. Luger and Sting win the match. Luger's torture rack for a heel finisher is one of the most over moves in the company. Jimmy Hart does an interview and basically implies he'll be managing every heel on the roster. The main event is Rick Flair vs Hulk Hogan for the WCW World title. Hogan is immune to Flair's chops before working a traditional Hogan comeback. Flair cuts him off and gets a big cheer. This isn't the Carolinas, but this is very much a split crowd reaction. The whole thing is all the better when you factor in Eric Bischoff commentating like it's a crowd reaction to Hogan from 10 years ago. Jimmy Hart runs out, distracts Hogan, allowing Flair to cut him off. Hogan big boots Flair, drops the leg, then rather than pinning Flair, decides to chase after Hart. On Anderson levels Hogan off the distraction. Hogan pops up, reveals the brass knucks and the ref calls for the disqualification. After this chaos ensues, Pillman and the Dungeon of Doom charge out, Giant runs out with a stool, Savage runs out and runs them off and we get some bollocks from Zodiac as he walks to the back. Hogan then says he and Savage have some common enemies. Hogan invites, invites Flair and Anderson to face off against him and Savage next week. Nitro on January the 8th opens with Chris Benoit against Alex Wright. They're calling Pillman a loose cannon. They do it on more than one occasion. This match is very good for the time it gets. More of the usual nonsense regarding why they won't disqualify Wright for throwing Benoit over the top. Bishop at one point rips on the WWF for raising their pay-per-view prices. What are they called? Titanic sports? Pillman attempts to trip Wright by the ropes. Wright retaliates with a nice slingshot crossbody to the outside. Pillman recovers and flips the middle finger at a fan in the crowd. Match goes about 7 minutes and well, ironically enough wins with a bridging German suplex Next up is Eddie Guerrero against Lord Stephen Regal. Bischoff tells people to forget about the Royal Fumble while promoting the clash This is another very good match which Guerrero wins with a backslide Mean Gene Oakland is joined by Lex Luger and Sting on the ramp Sting asks if they have a problem specifically with the ending of the triangle match at Starcade where Luger prevented Sting re-entering the ring Luger claimed he reached out to, to Sting for him to help him out as he had an injured knee, and he wanted to make it up to him at the Clash of the Champions, then speculating they might be a very good tag team. Another very entertaining match followed with Sting submitting DDP in a Scorpion Deathlock. The main event is Hogan and Savage versus Anderson and Flair. We get a lovely double figure four, figure four leg lock spot with Hogan and Savage on the attack. Hogan no sells on Anderson's spine buster, hits a big boot and a leg drop for the win. The match ended cleanly, but the cavalry wasn't far behind. In fact, the Dungeon of Doom actually cut off Benoit and Pillman from interfering. The giant ends up getting in the ring and lays waste to Savage and Hogan with choke slams. Nitro on January the 15th opens with Lex Luger against Randy Savage in front of a hot crowd. Luger wants to get a chair involved in the match, but the referee repels it. Macho Man gets big air on an elbow drop. Luger moves out of the way, locks in the torture rack, and Savage submits. The Dungeon Doom come out, including one man gang. They've got Oakland with them. Following closely behind is the Four Horsemen. Quite a sight with so many people in the ring. Anderson, who's supposed to be wrestling, is in a suit. As is Benoit. Anderson berates Pillman for not being dressed properly for business. Sullivan says that the clash of the champions. He'll let Flair borrow the big man, the giant, out of respect. Pillman gets a bit too big for his boots, and Anderson slaps him. It's the debut of the public enemy. They attempt to start their arm-waving dance, It barely catches on. After their match with the American male starts, a brief ECW chant breaks out. For all the hosts of a dominant debut performance for the enemy, they spend much of the early goings on the back foot, but they are playing baby faces. Grunge actually wins the match, grabbing a handful of tights while pinning Bagwell. The bell wins, the enemy music plays, and the fight continues. The enemy set up a table on the outside. Two tables next to the turnbuckle, stacked one on top of the other. Rocco Rock goes on the turnbuckle and does a high-angle somersault dive through the tables, which is a great spot, impeccably shot on the WCW camera team next up is Sting vs Ric Flair for the WCW World Heavyweight title this is every Sting vs Flair match you've ever seen which is to say it's very good if a little played out Luger comes out and tries to get Hart off of the apron Luger then appears to hit Sting with Hart's megaphone that knocks knocks Sting's spark out Flair puts him in the figure 4 Sting ends up being pinned Luger and Flair seem to go after Sting Hogan and Savage come to Sting's aid Hogan and Savage say that Luger is bad news that's twice his cost in the title now Sting doesn't even appear to know what happened. He says he's going to confront Luger. Hogan then says he wants a title shot and he says Savage isn't 100%. The main event is Meng against Hulk Hogan. The crowd rallies behind Hogan amidst an early onslaught. Savage thwarts an interference attempt and Hogan wins the match after nailing Meng with his own golden spike. We will now cut back quote unquote live uh, to the podcast recording where we're going to discuss uh, the Nitro on the 22nd ahead of the Clash of the Champions review. And we come back in uh, for the Nitro on the 22nd. We're at Caesars Palace. Uh, we're reviewing this live because we're about to do a kind of pay-per-view style review of the uh, Randy Savage and Ric Flair match, which opens up the show. Uh, this is going up against the Royal that followed the Royal Rumble. WCW are promoting two championship matches uh, for The Clash. Uh, sorry, on this show, rather. Uh, before Conan of A fame interrupts the announcer at the top of the show he says he will be defending his Mexican heavyweight championship against Psychosis at The Clash tomorrow. And we open up with the world title match. Saraj comes out, but not before a long line of ladies walks out, including woman, aka Nancy Sullivan, the wife of Kevin. The announcers do acknowledge her. Saraj comes out. Hogan comes out not far behind and wishes Saraj good luck. Tells Saraj he wants the first shot after he's won the title. Sarge then repeats the what it is, what it is line from World War 3. Sorry, what it is, is what it is. Bischoff then says that Miss Elizabeth is reunited with Savage and Hogan. I'm guessing Woman isn't going to be playing her after all then. And we open up, it's Randy Savage versus Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Flair goes straight for Woman, shaping for a dance. Flair gets a slap for his troubles and we're off to a hot start. Flair crashes Savage into the guardrail. then asks if the Road Warriors are back together. Bischoff then confirms that we'll be seeing them tomorrow. Flair then chucks Savage over the top rope given that Hart had the referee distraction I'm guessing that was a heel move Flair once again sends Savage into the guardrail Flair walks towards Savage straight into a back body drop on the floor Savage shakes four and hits a flying crossbody from the top but he hits the guardrail again as we go to commercial Savage hits Flair with a ten punch Flair does his flare flip to the outside Savage does a backslide for a two Flair then locks in a figure four to a shocking, uh, shocking lack of crowd reaction Flair gets caught holding the ropes and gets into a confrontation with the ref. He then pushes the ref and the ref pushes him back. Flair goes to the top. When does that ever work? I've got it in my notes. Sarich throws him off, hits the double axe handle from the top, then another, before shame for a top rope elbow drop. Sarich goes after Hart on the apron. Flair pokes Sarage in the eye. With the ref distracted, Flair takes Sarich towards the far corner where Arne Anderson is standing. Anderson shapes the hip. Um, Saris with the blast knocks, but Saris jucks in the forward with the referee and Anderson flattens flair no disqualification Hogan deals with Anderson, the bell starts to ring the match carries on Saris goes to the top, hits a big elbow drop the ref does a big jump over the, over the cover counts the pin and we have a new WCW world title champion sorry this didn't get the greatest of crowd reactions I think partly because of the bell that was ringing during the pin Hogan jumps in the ring and looks happy for Savage than Savage does Savage isn't happy Rory what do you think
4: well uh, second time I've done a WCW show and the second time I've seen Randy Savage win the title in somewhat indecisive circumstances I'm always a, I'm always a little bit dubious about changing titles on, uh, on television changing the world title on television from a kayfabe perspective, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, they wouldn't care about... The characters wouldn't care about when they're having a match. They want to go and win it wherever it's taking place, be it on TV, a house show, pay-per-view, whatever.
2: I'm more the point but, is that a championship match shouldn't be any more important if it was on pay-per-view versus if it was on uh, a Nitro. It shouldn't really be any different.
4: Absolutely. You're, you're, you're fighting for the belt, and from the character's perspective, that should be the most important thing, and I entirely understand that. But when you're... Scripting an event, which of course is, is what's happening here. You can build up to these matches. You can, you can make them, you can make your title changes mean something. We've gone back and forth with the belt now for two months and I'm still not entirely sure why. I'll get, I'll get onto that again in a sec. The match itself was d- decent action, but I wouldn't say it was much more than that. i say the crowd really weren't into it. I mean, they tried to get some heat early on with uh, a couple of early guardrail spots, like he mentioned in the report. But the crowd weren't biting on even that. Were they not ex- not expecting a title change here? Did they think Flair was just going to mow over Savage? I don't know. But it was curiously heatless, the match itself. Uh, they tried to make a big deal of it. Um, as you've mentioned, Randy Anderson did his babyface, is about to win the title, jumping pin. Uh, but, so that didn't really help either and Hogan of course being Hogan was in there the very second of the three count was administered because that's what Hulk Hogan does when one of his friends wins, wins the title and this just never got going uh, again I still don't think Savage is fully fit I said that two months ago I'll probably be saying that in another two months as well Flair going through the motions when the figure of four doesn't get a crowd response you know you've got problems and it's just, meh. Nah. And this is for a title change of the biggest belt in WCW. Oof, not pretty.
3: Steve? Yeah, agreed with that. On the point of the crowd, is this going to be a problem if they did decide that they were going to, um, you know, do all of their tapings in Vegas? It's a very casual crowd, I think, isn't it? You know, if yeah. you think that, you know, the, the, the passing People coming through, visiting the town, oh, there's, you know, there's a wrestling show on tonight, let's go, let's go and have a look, you know, there's household names, you know, because Nitro these days is fully loaded, so we're getting to see Hulk Hogan, we're getting to see Rick Rick Flair, uh, Randy Savage, but actually it's not a wrestling Audience and, you know, they probably wouldn't, as you've alluded to, you know, are they going to expect the title change? Are they going to, the, the bell ringing really sort of, I mean, it threw me at home watching it thinking, right, any minute now, uh, they're going to, you know, the bell's, the bell's ringing. So some, another referee's going to come out. Someone's going to say, you know, the brass knucks. So that was all a bit confusing as well. The match itself, I quite enjoyed it. I thought that it was, you know, sort of what you would expect of a TV match. You know, maybe not a well-titled match, but certainly of a TV match, I thought it was very good. The place on placement in the show, you know, did it suffer that it was first? Was the idea to sort of, you know, get the crowd going? A big title change, you know, I don't know. I don't think that quite worked. Um, Jimmy Hart, I mean, you know... You've mentioned it on the podcast before about, you know, again, you know, loading up full of stars, for, you know, having everyone. Jimmy Hart, for me, just adds nothing. You know, it makes no sense that he's with he's with Ric Flair, you know, really. You know, Flair doesn't need it. He's got the horseman. J- Jimmy Hart just doesn't add anything. I like the idea of... Um, of women and all the girls coming out and things. Um, I like the interaction between Flair and women. The, the slap was great. Um, but the crowd just killed it really. Um, and, and as I say, is this going to be the way it'll be if they decided that they were going to tape in Vegas every other week?
2: Wow. A lot not take in. Uh, thanks, Jens. Um, <laughs> um, in terms of, uh, Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas, last year they did, uh, the Clash of the Champions in the same venue as obviously they're going to do on the show that we're about to review. Uh, I think in part because the date coincides with some kind of big TV convention where a lot of important people in the industry tend to kind of converge on Las Vegas, which is why I think they it there last year. I presume that's the case now. Um, in terms of any plans they have for going to permanently moving in las vegas yes there is certainly a case as there is at center stage as there is at universal studios that um you can get quite a good fresh walk-up crowd every week um because there's a lot of tourists in the area which is why they that they do a lot of syndicated television there so that makes sense um uh, but no Steve, you're right in terms of the crowd it was you know we're going to have this on the clash as well because they were both in the same venue it, and, and weird in the sense that you would think if they're going to pop for anyone, they would pop for the guys they know. But it was almost like when we get to the main event on on the class show, it was almost like they pop for the giant just because he was so big. It was almost kind of that level of knowledge at times. Yeah. Um, as for um, the placement on the show, I think that was more Raw is going to be doing something or attempt to be doing something quite hot after the Rumble. Let's give reason people a reason to tune in the early goings. Um, rather than the main event, so that makes sense. As for the talent involved, I think we'll have a bit more of a discussion about that later on in terms of these guys are feeling a lot older than they did a year ago, and I mean a lot older, um, so I'll, I'll elaborate on that point a bit more later. The match itself was probably slightly better than I expected, um, but Flair... I, and these two had a great match seven or eight months ago at the Great American Bash. So, you know, I, I don't know how, how quickly the Asian process could undercut them. I think Savage's injuries is hurting them even more than they wanna, uh, than that they wanna get across. Um, but Flair at times is going through the motions. He's wrestled Hogan twice this month. Savage, Sting, Flair is, Flair right now is wrestling greatest hit stuff. I don't know that he's being helped me in, in the ring with, with this age of opponent either um and as for the title change Rory, it kind of fell flat didn't it i mean it's uh, i i don't get the sense anybody was in the live crowd or even at home was was massively excited and you almost get the feeling they're just undoing what they did three weeks ago
4: absolutely but just, uh, like, I, like i said just now playing hot potato with the world title is a, is a very dangerous game one of the issues they have is when they put the belt on Flair at Starcade, and it's what we hinted at again in the news, putting the belt on Flair at Starcade was basically felt like a, a sop because they thought the show needed a world title match towards the end, about three weeks before they eventually went up. But there was no real heat on Flair to win the title there. So, And his title reign, if you can call it that. I mean, nothing's really happened during it, so... Uh, There was no real money in the chase of Savage getting the belt back off him this quickly, and I think that contributed as well to why this felt so heatless and so flat. But Savage, and I'll be talking more about characters in a bit, we'll just say briefly now, Savage, injury, you know, injury permitting, has to have a decent length of time with the belt now, otherwise they're going to end up devaluing their world title, and you can't do that.
2: Well, I'm not holding Steve, I'm not holding out a lot of hope that it's not going to go back to Hogan in the next
3: six six (laughs) weeks. (laughs) No, never mind, particularly the way, you know, as you'd said, Rory, you know, Hogan, he's there, he he comes out at the beginning, he asks, you know, if Savage wins, I I want the next shot, he's in the ring the split second of the three count, so yeah, it certainly is building a picture, isn't it, that Hogan is in and around that title scene, as he always is, but... He's hovering like um you know like the sort of albatross there, and um you know yeah, certainly they the building it building it up that you, you wouldn't put it past Hogan, having that title within within the next you know <laughs> the next month he's a clever cogan, he, that hogan
4: he's, he's a clever right. cogan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Savage is suspicious Hogan says he wants a shot at the title Savage tells Hogan to get himself up to the number one spot and he'll get his shot Hogan gets booed quite loudly Savage says if he beats Hogan which is probably going to happen he wants Hogan to shake his hand next up it's Pillman against Malenko Pillman is mouthing off, also gets anyone he can find fitting the new edgier character they've given him Malenko gets an audible pop with a lovely running clothesline and a brain buster a very hard hitting a good match literally ends with Malenko getting his foot trapped in the ropes. The referee seeing this happen and then counting the three anyway. Uh, I think the heat from the crowd was more booing how stupid a finish it was rather than any heat on anybody. This, By, by any standards, this was a phenomenal finish from WCW. Um, next up is Sting and Lex Luger against Harlem Heat. Uh, it's been going for a while, but Sting's hair is very dark these days. He hasn't bleached it in a while. Uh, Sting plays the baby face in peril. Jimmy Hart comes out and gives Luger something which Luger holds in a closed fist. Luger then levels Booker T with a right and outspill a load of silver dollars. Luger makes the pin. The referee makes the count, surrounded by coins moving in all directions. Luger and Sting are your new tag team champions, but Sting doesn't look happy. The main event is Hulk Hogan it's One Man Gang. This match gets an amazing lack of crowd reaction, not a jot when Hogan body slammed him. Hogan pins him with a leg drop, but this match was non-title. After the match, Hogan has to run off attacks from the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen. With the aid of Savage, he does just that. We get a post-match promo with Hogan and Savage, much more respectful this time, promoting Hogan's future title shot, The Return of Miss Elizabeth. And we end the show with Heenan storming off, unhappy at the jives from McMichael. Now we move on to the Clash of the Champions. Rory, kick us off with the results.
4: I will. Right then. The Public Enemy fought the Nasty Boys to a double disqualification. Dean Malenko defeated Alex Wright. The Taskmaster defeated Disco Inferno via Forfeit. Brian Pillman defeated Eddie Guerrero. Sting and Lex Luger defeated the Blue Bloods. Conan defeated Psychosis. And Ric Flair and the Giants defeated Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage.
2: Steve, what do you think of this show?
3: I liked it. Um, it did remind me a little bit of um, some of those old Coliseum home video uh ones that the WWF used to produce, only because I liked the individual segments. It didn't seem to flow very well, but when it kept on cutting to Jean outside the um, the chapel, I, I did enjoy those bits, but it took you out of the show a little bit. Um, but overall, very entertaining, um, very entertaining show. Main event is... It is what it is when you know you've got the giants um involved Is you know it's a spectacle I think as you said earlier on, the crowd seemed to sort of like him because of maybe the size of him, but quality wise you know it it, it wasn't great um and I did like um I did like the fact that you know um we've got the triple a um belt you know uh, we've got the situation there now where they're bringing in people like Conan I did enjoy that I thought that was something different. Rory. Uh, I thought
4: this was, uh, this was fine. Uh, remember, as we always say, our, our normal caveats when talking about The Clash, uh, this is free TV, this isn't pay-per-view. Um, so, you've got to take that into account, and it was, uh, a, for a perfectly acceptable watch. No standout matches, or any matches really close to being standout, but there was nothing really actively bad. There was a nicer uh, throughline storyline completion about the wedding, which we'll get to. Um, the two hours absolutely zipped by, you, you, I've got to say that. So, yes, nothing earth-shattering, with one notable exception, which we'll get to. But um, for a two-hour free television programme, y- you can't really complain too much.
2: Yeah, classic <clears throat> classic WCW in a way. Um, a lot of stuff that was irrelevant, forgettable, or just downright bad. And, yeah, a lot of stuff that was either really good or teased the potential to be really good all in a very tightly packed two-hour show um, that was probably kind of a middle-of-the-road show on the basis of some very good stuff and some very bad stuff. But enough positives to go away from this show where I think most people probably would have enjoyed it if nothing else. Um, But yeah, I think we'll we'll pass comment on things as we kind of get to them. Uh, We're at Seasons Palace once again. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan are on the call. Footballer Kevin Green will be on the show. Me in Oakland is at the Little White Chapel in Las Vegas ahead of the nuptials between Sister Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker. We get a brief video package from the public enemy, which only manages to talk over, and we open up with the public enemy, Flyboy rocka rock and Johnny Grunge, versus the nasty boys Brian Knobs and Jerry Sachs. We start with all four men brawling, Rocks and Sags, t- uh, Rock and Sags t- uh, tumble to the outside. Knobs levels Grunge with a clothesline in the ring, and Rock and Sags exchange guardrail clotheslines. Rock then gets crotched on the guardrail, Sags wanders up the aisleway. Sags returns with a table. This isn't ECW, so you have to walk about 100 feet to get it. Shivoni tries to imply there are legal men in this match. Yeah, good luck with that, Tony. Uh, Sags goes to run Rock through the table, Rock counters into a bulldog. Rock hits a moonsault to knobs standing in the ring. Grunge and Sags are fighting on the outside. Nob sends Rock uh, off the apron. Rock sees to hit the apron hard on the way down. Nob's pile-drives Grunge, the Nasty set up the table and the ref just calls for the bell. But we carry on anyway. Uh, Rock does a moonsault to Nob's on the table, the table doesn't break and Rock seems to land hard as he kind of over, overshot it. Grunge grounds a long piece of table that broke off, Sags takes it off him, leathers him with it and a small piece flies off uh, about a foot long and flies off deep into the crowd. Sags then grabs the table and just launches it at Grunge on the outside He then continues to attack Grunge with a piece of the table They actually cut away to an advert break With Sags in full flight charging towards the ring Roy, what do you think of this?
4: Uh, I didn't have much time to think about it I mean the match itself was only four minutes long Which I thought was a bit strange If they're trying to get Public Enemy over to an unfamiliar audience Then a four minute match which, en- which ends when a table is brought into the ring not even use is not going to help them regardless of the shenanigans at the end which was admittedly uh, a great deal of fun I like that the public enemy have been allowed at least at least at the moment to keep their ECW gimmick uh, I did fear that they were going to be WCW eyes at some point but still the same name still the same character names still the same uh, madcap block party throwing guys from the Northeast which is good um, putting them in a a feud with the Nasty Boys is, is sensible that that's going to get some, um, that's going to get public enemy noticed with all the usual plunder that we like to see or they've got very used to themselves over, over the last two years. And of course the Nasty Boys have been involved in WCW versions of those matches in the past, which have been entertaining. Shall we say the ones against uh, Catless Jack and Max Payne and the uh, concession stand brawl with uh, Harlem Heater a couple of years ago, so they're the right people to have with them, but um, let's at least probably see a, an actual hardcore match between them, I mean four minutes you can't really judge anything um, I'd like to think that therefore this was the the beginning of their mini-feud rather than the end of it it's, um, give us something to actually get invested in one thing I will say, and if they do want to push ahead with this, they should the crowd did get into it after the bow had rung with some of the shots, I mean a table being thrown at somebody landing headfirst. That's gonna that, that's that's gonna fly, as they say. So give them ten, fifteen minutes and let them go.
2: Steve, we saw on Nitro uh it was either the week before oh it wasn't on the show we just recovered, so it would have been the week before. Um they the public enemy formally debuted and when Rory says um he, he's pleased that they kept their character he wasn't meaning about this, but I think the one aspect of it is there's also, as much as the public enemy come with a character outside the ring, they come with a character inside the ring. I see if we saw it on the Nitro show when they had that very back and forth and pretty awful match with the American males. Oh. Uh, it was fair to say that that didn't work, even if the post-match angle was quite effective, but they got this right, Steve, didn't they?
3: Yeah, definitely that public enemy American males match was absolutely awful. I mean, the timing on it was just horrendous. Um I mean, there's a bit in that where Bagwell seems to be waiting an absolute eternity for Rocco to come, to come over. But this was a lot better. And, and again, Rory makes the point that the nasty boys were the, the only sort of ones really, I, I would say that you'd put them in there with. I got a sense again that this was the start of something, as Rory had said, you know, if, if this can be allowed to build and we build up to a, A match that's more suited to, um, you know, let's say the uh, reputation of Public Enemy. If they allow it to go that way, I think it'll be great. A quick match, um, but definitely for me the start of something big and a lot better than the 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 nitro debut um plus there's more eyes on this I think so because it because it being the nasty boys cuz it's the clash so maybe we can forget about that poor uh debut on nitro and this can be sort of uh, the start of something potentially pretty special
7: perhaps
2: yeah, four very, very quick minutes of some pretty uh, intense kind of, you know, two on two action, um, which kind of built really after the bell rung. Um, I think somebody in the pro wrestling talk said that while the public enemy are in WCW they should only face the nasty boys to be honest I can't really disagree with that line of reasoning <laughs> um, in the sense that these two teams and we've spoken about it on the, the ECW show on a number of occasions before that this is, I don't want to call it a dream match but this is the match, these are the two teams that we'd love to see go against each other I suspect it would perhaps be a little bit better in ECW but you know we beggars can't be choosers Rory, I, I think as for the whole um why was it limited here, I kind of think and hope to a point that this there was the thought that this is on free television, let's have it kind of ruled out and then next month we can on pay per view push it a bit further. And then less they lest we not forget, Rory, in March there's a pay per view called Uncensored, if you're gonna have the big blow off brawl, that's the place to do it.
4: Yep, totally agree. Let's, let's hope they do. But this is WCW. Enough said.
2: <laughs> we will see. We will see. But no, I think in terms of the match against the American Males was a proper dull match. It was, let's see if rock and grunge can wrestle. And, and then on up to that standard. But, you know, they, they didn't get this far. They they haven't come... They've come as advertised, really. Um, And I'm glad they got to this kind of match so quickly. That tells me that somebody backstage in WCW is on the ball. Um, It's really... Can you get them over enough against an act like the Nasty Boys, where once that feud concludes, they can transition into a slightly more traditional programme and be effective? But I I think we'll... uh, We'll, we'll, we'll see how that develops in the coming months. Uh, they run an ad for Super Bowl listing the former, present and future champions in the vignette. In order, they are Sting as the former champion, Savage as the present champion, and the future Lex Luger. Interesting. I don't know, on the month where you're being ragged by the WWF for having a bunch of old guys in your... In your kind of roster, in your main event, I kind of think I may have picked somebody else for the future championship. Although to be honest, like, future could just be Hogan. I think that's, that's at least the most accurate, uh, representation of where they're going. At least you would think the giant, you would, th- like you, you would think the giant would be the right guy for that spot if nobody else anyway. Uh, Eric Bischoff interviews Rick Flair and the giant. Flair says the title loss mean- meant nothing. Yeah, way to go, Rick. That's a good, good idea. Uh, he and Savage will have to get it on in the ring tonight. With him and the Giant uh, Flair says A little woman told him last night With you I'm going to fantasize With the Giant I'm going to giant size well, Whatever that means uh, We see a clip from <laughs> Saturday night Of Dean Malenko putting the Texas Cloverleaf leaf Alex Wright uh, Wright got to the ropes But uh, Malenko didn't let go And next up It's Dean Malenko against Alex Wright right hops out of a leg choke Melenko pops out of one into a leg drop a very good 45 seconds of technical exchanges we get an unnecessary set of flips while right does two drop kicks to Malenko regroups on the outside Malenko starts working right's left leg rattling it off the ring post Malenko goes for a leg whip and right seems to fall in completely the wrong direction that looked quite painful though right seemed to be fine no crowd heat for this at all right overshoots the top rope crossbody and barely catches Malenko Malenko climbs to the top right drop kicks in then hits a superplex where he appears to let go of Malenko halfway through right goes for a true Jones suplex but only gets a two Malenko takes down right by the leg Malenko flips a bridge pin the ref counts two right kicks out uh, but the ref rewards uh, Malenko the match essentially Malenko let go of the pin before three because he, he heard the first count and it wasn't um, but anyway they just, rather than con- continuing on they just awarded Malenko the match Steve
3: I like this. I thought this was really great. I, I did enjoy Shivani um, calling the 36-year-old Malenko a youngster uh, <laughs> during, during the match. Um, but I thought this was great, and I really, again, it's the crowd. You know, it's this crowd that are just were into it at all, um, which is strange because it told a good story. I thought some of the moves. You know, I didn't pull everything off, but some of the moves were great. Um, and Alex Wright, you know. Is he saddled with a sort of a, just a gimmick that really people just can't take to? Because technically, I really like him. I think he's a he's a great wrestler. Um, he just needs something more. And then the, the, the Malenko thing, you know, we see we saw the clip from, from Saturday Night. Was that just to? Is there something down the down the road with Malenko, or was that just to promote this match? But he kept the, you know, he, he he wouldn't let go of the hold, and and um, you know, it seemed to be that maybe it was a little bit out of character to, for Milenko, But I I, I don't know. I, I again, you know, with this being WWE, is that something or nothing, or is that something that they may pick up um at a later night
2: I, no real answer to any of those questions, really Steve. yeah, I mean, I think you're right in the sense that Malenko is a guy that they've done almost nothing with on a character yeah. standpoint um and yes, you are also right that we shouldn't read too much into that because they may simply have forgot
3: exactly um, that's what I thought, yeah, I just thought this this is probably going to go nowhere, but the fact that they recapped it on at the class, I thought, mm, well, we'll see
2: you know in e c w when he wasn't talking, there was a reason behind it, yeah. and there was there was a whole gimmick behind him being the silent shooter here. Uh, Mm. Uh Rory
4: really enjoyable stuff this is this is what you want from a free TV show. Two good workers given seven or eight minutes ideally you'd want longer but seven or eight minutes just to go out there go out there and do it and they did it's like a couple of couple of minor botches, but uh, I'm fine with that putting Alex Wright in with people like Benoit as they did on Nitro a couple of weeks ago and with Malenko can only help him as well writers got. He's got a lot of the tools, but he is somewhat unpolished. I do think his ground game in particular needs a bit of work. But having matches with the likes of Benoit and Malenko, he's only going to come on even more. Uh, I am very much a fan of his. Again, the gimmick is a bit silly. He's from Europe, so he must like dancing. Yeah, give, it, give him that as a gimmick. That'll do. That'll, that'll get him over. Oh, no, it won't. <laughs> Which is a shame because he's talented and he could get even better. Malenko is Malenko. We've said it many, many times. We'll say it many, many times again. I wouldn't have a problem at all if this is the beginning of WCW doing their version of uh, the Shooter D. Malenko gimmick. I'm not sure that is where it's going, but uh, one can only hope. But uh, yeah, this was this was absolutely fine. Um, I'm still, as, like, as I just hinted, I'm still not entirely sure about what's going to happen with either of these two guys as regards their position on the card is concerned, but. If you want to have a good match, a good 7 or 8 TV, TV match, put these two together and uh, you've got it. Fine stuff, although I will just say, that was an odd finish, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, a little Was that bit. a botch or not? Uh, <sighs> well, as I say, because it's the <sighs> classic thing where some refs will kind of put their hand down to check the shoulder before they start counting... Um, and if, if the wrestler involved thinks that's the one, they'll get to the three and they'll let go. And so, I, I put right kicks out. I think it's probably more accurate to say Malenko let go of the pin. Um, but yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, this match was fine. Um, you know, right as, as we said, is a guy that's improving quite rapidly. I mean, sure, to a point, you put him in the ring with, um... Was it Nakagawa? No, so are they no Nakagawa's the ECW? Whoever he faced last month at uh, um, Starcade, you put him in the ring with Benoit with Milenko, he is the kind of guy that can play I would not say second fiddle, that's a bit harsh, but he's the kind of guy that can play the other half of a really exciting match. Um, but Steve, I think we're playing into the problem here that this is quite a casual crowd and not a crowd that was massively receptive to good technical wrestling.
3: No, they weren't a patient crowd. I think they were sort of, you know, th- they're looking out for the next big pop or the next sort of guy to walk through the curtain. Um, but from a TV point of view, you know, if you can sort of just concentrate on what's happening in the ring, I thought it was um, it was really good. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, you, you, the match a match could be that good that it really, you know, you, you can concentrate on what's happening. It doesn't really matter about the crowd. It wasn't that good, you know. So the crowd did bring it down, I'd say, you know, if you were gonna if you were gonna give it a rating, I think the crowd affected it. Um, but again it's this we've we've mentioned it throughout the show now, it's this casual Vegas crowd. Is it gonna start hurting some of these um, some of these guys, particularly a guy like Alex Wright who Maybe, you know, needs the crowd on his side. Um, Not so much in terms of a character, but just terms of a a guy in a ring who wants to know that he's doing right and get the crowd on side. Um, I I don't know whether it's going to hurt someone like that long term by having this, um, you know, this sort of casual crowd.
2: We come out next for the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart versus Disco Inferno. A guy walks out dressed as Elvis, and it doesn't appear to be Disco Inferno. She only says, don't look at me, Kevin. I'm just an announcer. Of course, that's Kevin Sullivan, the the booker. Uh, Elvis takes the mic. He's here to deliver a singing telegram. The telegram says that Disco is at the chapel ahead of Colonel's wedding. Taskmaster starts beating up Elvis. This was awful. I've got in my notes. Rory, I, I mean... I don't know, like, what? Like we're, we're talking about TV time being, you know, quite the commodity, uh, it seems like they had Taskmaster, to me at least, it came off as quite a babyface move beating up Elvis, I don't know, I don't know whether, you know, I'm just not a big enough fan of Elvis, we're in a different country, um, but the Elvis impersonator was so bad and so annoying, I popped when a sudden started attacking you.
4: Um, well... This is just Kevin Sullivan getting himself on the show, I suppose. I mean, OK, if somebody told me that we're not going to get the appetised match of the Taskmaster versus Disco Inferno, I wouldn't be entirely disappointed. Although what we got almost, almost had me hunkering after it, almost. I mean, uh, Kevin Sullivan beats up the Elvis, an Elvis impersonator, the kind you wouldn't even find on Blackpool Pier. I mean, <laughs> What, why am I supposed to care about this? Yes, you're in Vegas. Yes, we get it. Hit us over the head with it. Why don't you? But just completely pointless. Utter waste of time. Just go, just ugh, go away. <laughs> awful, awful.
2: Steve, my best explanation for this segment was that they wanted a reason to explain why or where Disco Inferno was. That, that's the only kind of handle <laughs> I could.
3: Yeah, I just don't get it, you know, if, if we have, or we've got the sort of comedy Vegas elements with Gene outside the chapel, so we didn't need a, an additional, we didn't need the Elvis, we didn't, you know, as you said, we know we're in Vegas, you know, we, they've already established that several times and throughout the show, the, 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 chapel bits with Gene and the Colonel would have been fine. They didn't need to put any more Vegas stuff in. Um, on paper, they probably thought, oh well, you know, Elvis will come out to a big pop, but he was that bad. Um, it, it was the opposite. And as you say there, you know, it was almost like, you know, a, a baby face sort of move beating up Elvis because he was that bad.
2: Yeah, this is a very Wayne Lithgow thing to say, but I kind of would have given these three or four minutes to Malenko and Alex Wright. Um, but but there we are. Yeah. Uh sorry Wayne. We joined Gene Oakland at the chapel. He's joined by Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. They're trying to find the colonel. Slater says that the last time he saw Parker he was at a table in Vegas. Eric Bissoff is joined by world tag team champions Lex Luger and Sting. Luger balks at the idea that their win yesterday had any controversy. They get interrupted by the Road Warriors. Animal says that the Road Warriors are the best tag team in professional wrestling and they want those belts. Sting is all game for a match, but Luger says they need to get to the back of the line, even suggesting they have a tag team State Patrol a title shot first. Sting and Luger are bickering as the segment finishes. Uh, Steve, what do you think of the uh, return of the Road Warriors?
3: Um, well... I mean, they looked great. Uh, they didn't sound great, if that makes sense. You know, I, I, I like the, you know, the, they were there, they were on the show. I thought they looked okay. But once they started talking, I just thought, oh, I, I don't know what it was. I just didn't think they had anything. Uh, it was, you know, oh, so the, the catchphrases and stuff they come out with. But uh, I don't know. I, I just see that they've been thrown together. I mean, I know that... The, There was a mention that they'd be there on the night. I didn't expect them to come out during during this interview. I didn't think that was the way to um, bring them out um, on the clash. So I thought it was odd that they came out during this interview section with someone else. It wasn't their own interview section. So I thought that killed it a little bit.
2: I, I didn't mind that. I, I think, you know, and as, w- one of the things we didn't massively get onto when we were t- discussing Savage and Flair was that, that the placement of that, not on the show, but on the show itself, rather than on The Clash, was that they'd rather use it to try and score a rating against Raw versus on a Tuesday. I think this was more of a case of we'll advertise the Road Warriors or we'll say they're going to be there, people will tune in, and then we can advertise their first match on the Nitro the following week and that could hopefully help us boost ratings. I think that made sense. Rory. I think my my favourite part of this was was, was Lex Luger in, in proper heel mode and, and not, not that he didn't have a point, which is what I kind of quite like, because Luger's like kind of, you know, tra- trailing this balance between this in between a character and just a, a proper heel. Uh, but I did enjoy him suggesting that people would rather see Luger and Sting versus State Patrol before Luger and Sting versus the Road Warriors.
4: <laughs> that, that was a good one. That seemed to throw on, seems to th- throw our interviewer friend as well, which I quite like. I'm quite enjoying this one from Luger. You know, actually, I, I said when I was on the show in, in November, I'm interested to see where they take this uh, Luger Sting thing. It's um. It's okay, He's, he seems to be enjoying himself playing this Tweener character, switching between heel and face whenever it's uh, it's called upon. So I, I hope it goes on for a while, because um, uh, they, like I said at the time, I need to do something with him. He, he came in as a big name, starting off Nitro and all that, so keep it rolling. As for the Road Warriors, I mean, this isn't 1988, they're not going to get a pop just by just by turning up anymore, they've got to earn it this time, and... I'm not sure this particular messy promo is going to help them very much. Okay, having, a, having them in with the tag team champions who happen to be big names like Sting and Lex Luger, fair enough, but I'm not particularly enthusiastic about their comeback. And I don't think whoever's directing is either, because if you notice, the mic was pulled away from Hawk before he even got a chance to properly say, what a rush. Inauspicious start. But the injury is to the cervical
1: area of my neck. My right arm is, is going numb. It's its weakening. And I've talked to two different doctors and both of them recommend that, that the only way to, to, to fix this is through surgery. And it's a career ending injury. There's never a good time for an injury.
0: Look in the mirror. But Who do you see? this
1: one did come at the worst Look time in the mirror. of my career. Look in the mirror. You know, thanks Who you to see? Gary Spivey, you know. My confidence level was, was soaring. I was on a roll. I was in control of my destiny. And it just, just like Gary had predicted, it was just a matter of time before I had a belt around my waist. There's something else on my mind. I'd, I would rather, if you don't mind, I would rather talk about the full horseman sure. and the reason why I confronted Brian Pillman. I am from the old school, where you earn respect. And how you get respect is when you're sucker punched by a 450-pound gorilla. You get knocked down, you get back up, and then you stomp his head into the ground and kick him like he was a football. That's how you get respect. And obviously, the four horsemen don't know what the true meaning of respect is. You see, each one of the horsemen play a role. Brian Pillman's
0: Coolest role is to provoke. The they
1: knew that I would be the one to come out and to confront Brian Pillman and the four horsemen.
0: Sure one, the truth is, you see, escalate. and a lot of people oh, don't they're know they're this. I was recruited oh, by control. Arn Anderson and Rick Flair. a a
1: long time ago about being a full horseman. You see, Brian Pillman would have never been a full horseman if I had chose to be one. They've held this against me ever since I turned them down. And it's quite frankly, I told them, right straight up, man-to-man, eye-to-eye, that I wanted no part of a gang, And that's exactly what the full horsemen are. This whole thing was orchestrated by Flair...
0: In right Anderson, floor? have they you got him ever? seen Arn
1: Anderson use a pile driver? Oh, no, no, have no, you? No,
0: no, no.
1: Never. You see, because oh, no. oh, Ric oh. Flair, oh, when he no. got he, up on that stage and, and when them, Arn right Anderson he picked me up, floor. and Flair and Arn both came down yeah, at the same that, time, the they knew exactly. They knew exactly what the result would be from a spiked pile driver. This was no accident. They meant to end my career. The Four Horsemen may have crippled my body, but they ain't crippled my heart. You see, I'm a very proud man, and I'm proud of who I am, and I'm proud of what I am, and I'm proud of where I've been. And if you think for one second, Four Horsemen, that I'm going to take this sitting down, you are mighty wrong because you haven't seen the last of Mr. Wonderful. Bank on it.
2: We get an interview with Mr. Wonderful. He sat at some sort of spa surrounded by palms on a beach. He says it could have been a career-ending injury if it wasn't for surgery on his neck. He credits the influence of Gary Spivey for his confidence. He says the horsemen don't know the true meaning of the word respect. Orndor says Anderson Flair have held his own rejection of joining the group in the past against him. He says he's a proud man that we haven't seen the last of Mr. Wonderful. Back live, Gary Spivey is in the crowd. Um, Rory, I've been doing this show for... Two and a half years. I haven't really seen much of anything of Orndorff before that timeline started. I don't think in this last two and a half years he has been anywhere near as entertaining, as captivating, as interesting as he was in that four-minute promo.
4: That was this was a fantastic promo. This this really had me had me right there, right from the very start. And I was not expecting that when they said they cut to it. He he showed genuine fire during this. I got the impression that He legitimately was somebody who saw his career could be coming to an end, which is, in real terms, very, very true. And he meant it. He really meant it. And I I was with him. And And they needed to do this, I'm glad, because there's still memories. I wish they hadn't really touched on it. Memories of that atrocious vignette they did at Fall Brawl with Gary Spivey, which, even by professional wrestling standards, showcased some of the worst... Sub 3 a.m. on the Disney Channel acting you will ever see anywhere. I didn't need reminding of that, but this promo was excellent. I don't think there can be much of a payoff to it because he's, I mean, he's clearly closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning. But for those four or five minutes, I was right there. So well done to him for that.
2: Steve, uh, was this yeah. the best, best part of the show?
3: I, I, this was really good. You know, it, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't a, a character talking. This seemed to be, you know. Paul Ondorf talking, and um, as Rory just said there, you know, it, it, he knows he's coming to the end. So I think it really brought us in to the promo because you know we know he's coming to the end of his career as well. We know, you know, sort of he's been around now since you know twenty twenty five years, you know. So from that respect, he, it, it was a real good job of of. Building up him, him return and having one last run. Um, you know, you're not expecting you know title runs or anything like that, but you are expecting him to come back and be put into a, um, a good program with the Horseman.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> I thought this was excellent. Um, I don't know whether Orlov as a babyface is necessarily going to work, but I guess we're going to try and find out. I think it's him. Feuding with the Horseman—it's the Horseman got other things to do—but him feuding with the Horseman is far more natural a program than I think anything else they could they could do with him right now. Um, and I'd kind of like to see Orndorf paired with one of the younger guys. We talk about uh, a a Malenko type, as someone who's not doing a lot at the moment. Certainly while <clears throat> while Ondorf's injured, but also even when he's fit, like I, I think him as a veteran workhorse babyface coaching a a younger guy could be beneficial all round, um and you know particularly if he's going to take on the horseman he's going to need some backup so i think that might be an interesting way to go as well um but yeah for for the praise of this segment really i I can't really i can't really criticize it i i I think ordolf was i think fire is the right word rory and you know it's not the kind of promo you can cut every week there's only so many times you can cut that kind of powerful promo but um, yeah, big, big thumbs up. We get to the chapel and Colonel Parker arrives in a taxi. He says to the driver, I'll get you your $20 before going up to Meansy in Oakland and asking if he can borrow $50. He says he's lost all of his money. He then takes a call from Sherry, we think. that will Play into what happens later. Uh, next up, it's Brian Pillman against Eddie Guerrero. Pillman jumps out and starts riding up the crowd he shakes for a test of strength before leaving Guerrero hanging Guerrero the pair start a shoving a match kick, Guerrero drop kicks Pillman to the outside Pillman starts ripping off Bobby Heen's jacket in lap
0: here. Oh, wait a oh, minute what no. no. the oh. you doing? easy
2: he didn't clearly not expecting it, says, what the fuck are you doing? He then walks up the aisle before eventually returning to his concrete position, apologising for his language but saying he was concerned for his well-being. Essentially, I think He's had either some long-standing problems with his neck or he's had some recent neck work um, and he didn't want to be involved in any physicality. Um, and nor, I guess, was he expecting it. Uh, Guerrero fires film off the ropes while hitting a lightning fast and perfectly executed tilt and World Backbreaker. Then hits a lovely swinging DDT from the second rope for a two. Pillman tries to pin Guerrero with his foot on the ropes, but Eddie he, he kicks out. Pillman hits a running cost body, holds it tight, and gets the three. Steve?
3: Uh, the match was good, yeah, but, I mean, you know, the match sort of paled into insignificance, um, to what happened sort of, uh, in the middle of it. But the match, well, I'm just going to focus on the match. Um, I thought it was a great match between two, you know, young, Uh, technically sound guys i really like pillman um you know i think potentially pillman if we even away from this sort of new character that he seems to be playing um i think he could have the potential to be wcw's you know Shawn michaels if there wasn't that many guys stacked above him in in the pecking order i think he's great i really like him um you know, he's been around for a number of years, but he seems to, even physically, he seems to have changed. I don't know whether he's he's, he's bulked up a little bit. Um, his style's sort of changed a, a bit, but a great match. Guerrero is all, always great value, so putting these two together was great. But, you know, as I say, the match was sort of one element um, of this whole section.
2: Rory? Uh,
4: the match first. The match for me was... Was okay, I'm, uh, no more than that. Uh, it, it, these two are certainly capable of going well above okay as well. But it, it never really got going because of what happened after two minutes and everything else just didn't, didn't matter. So it was fairly inconsequential compared to that. I think Pillman in the ring, I mean, I agree, he has changed his style. Has he necessarily changed his style for the better? I'm not so sure. Uh, On offense, he didn't really do a whole lot in this particular match, really. Um, It's certainly not the Brian Pillman in the ring that we saw even in the match against Alex Wright at the Great American Bash, and that was only six months ago. I mean, if he is trying to work a more, inverted commas, main event style because of what this whole new character is doing for him, if that is going to try and push him up the card, at least in, in theoretical terms, then okay, I can understand it. But... I don't want it to take away what made him special in the ring in the first place. I mean, it certainly isn't the Pillman we saw having that still magnificent match against the uh, Jushin Liger back at a Super Bowl 2. Eddie is Eddie. I mean, this is just a minor blip for him. I mean, I'm not... I'm, I have no concerns about what he's going to go on and do at all. But um, And... such Pillman grabbing the tights to win. Eh, okay, he's a bad guy, fair enough. But it's a bit hackneyed. But the match's second fiddle to what happened after two minutes of it
2: yeah I I, I share your sentiments with Pillman, I I think that the one thing we saw last year, whether it was a babyface, whether it was a heel that he is arguably the best wrestler WCW have got, Um, certainly in that discussion, um, I think the the write-up I did on the website with regards the, the top 10 WCW matches, he was in four of them and, and nobody else was in more than three now that's that's not a great sample but i think that's illustrative of the point i'm trying to make um but it was often at times very generic baby face generic heel not much character in development not much that now obviously, towards the latter months he did join um the horseman i kind of feel that they've or that he's changed his character for the good but a significant degradation to not his in ring work, but his in ring style. Like this kind of seven or eight minute match, you imagine Pillman Guerrero last year, with Pillman six months removed perhaps from the heel turn, certainly from joining the horseman, against Guerrero, given eight or nine minutes, would have you would suspect would have torn the place down. You would suspect. Because they're they're both good enough. They can both wrestle at a quick enough pace and they're both Agile enough to work with the crowd and work them into it. Instead, what we got here was a very bits and pieces, stop-start, Pillman spending a lot of time gesturing to the crowd and we got to the Heathen thing. Um, And it just, it it ended up being a series of really cool spots rather than a good match. Um, Now, you know, it might work... You know, we're going to discuss later on the show the top end of the WCW roster, which is full of stars and characters more than it is wrestling ability. Um, but yeah, and, and then we get to the Heenan thing. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Steve, it's fair to say that's what people are going to remember.
3: Definitely. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Bobby Heenan had no idea what was happening because he would not have come out with, you know, the line that he did. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. I think he has had some surgery, hasn't he? I mean, I can't remember Heenan being involved physically for years now. You know, um, uh, he certainly hasn't, hasn't you know, you go back sort of 10 years since he's been in the ring getting thrown about and stuff like that by guys like the Ultimate Warrior and WWF. So you've got the two things, you've got the, the fact that Bobby Heenan didn't know this was coming and the fact that he's had surgery and it's sort of, he's a no-go, you know, the guys know not to touch him. Um, it was shocking to the point where I thought to myself, right, you know, if this wasn't meant to happen, I think that perhaps we might cut away now or, or something. So you're thinking, right, okay, well, it, it, it's, it's a set-up, but would the, would Bobby Heenan really have acted like that? So it really sort of threw me, um, as a viewer, thinking, what are they doing here? Because that is a shocker, you know, to, uh, to drop an F-bomb. And then when the brain just left the, the, the table, you know, I, I'm watching the brain as much as I'm watching the match, you know, well, where's he going? Has he, has he gone? Is that it? Is that the end of Bobby Heenan? He, he was that upset. He returns and apologizes. Um but what, uh, you know, what, what's coming now? in in terms of this character, in terms of um, what else he can do? Because, you know, grabbing someone who doesn't know it's coming and has been almost, you know, it's a hands-off policy on the guy, um, is that really going to cause... Problems with, uh, with Bobby Heenan. Is it going to cause problems with other guys thinking, you know, if you think of, say, I, I mean, Gene, is he going to think, well, hang on a minute, you know, am I going to be next? Am I going to be grabbed? Um, I don't know what you guys thought, but to me, I didn't think the brain knew anything about it whatsoever.
2: Oh, no, he clearly didn't. Um, I, I think more as, I mean, I haven't read anything about whether there's any kind of heat on him backstage for, uh, for what he said. I mean, the whole kind of Pillman character scenes in part built out on, the basis that I don't know whether many people are in on it necessarily, but there's certainly kind of, you know, there's, there, 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 there's rumors in the torch and the observer that, you know, there are a few people, there are a lot of people backstage that are a bit uneasy around him. i.e. There might be more to this. Um, you know, and Bishop's clearly on it. I mean, he's used the phrase loose cannon about four or five times, more more um, certainly frequently enough to the point where it can't be accidental. I even read that in the Observer at the beginning of the month before it even came to television. So I think there's something there. Yeah. Um But maybe in the effort to try and make it feel a bit more real life, they're trying to build this idea that Pillman is a bit all over the shop. Um, and maybe Heenan was in on it. I don't know. I, I don't know whether they'd want him swearing on air. But let's be honest, if you want to get Pillman over as a... A bit of a lunatic having Healan swear that would be the occasion to do it. Um I still suspect that was was accidental. It certainly is a great actor if it if it um if it wasn't. Um but yeah, Rory any more on this before we move
4: on? Yeah, I absolutely I mean I, I think this was one hundred percent a shoot. I don't think he had any idea this was coming at all. And the reason I think that is A, the fact that he dropped the F bomb live on television live on Turner Television with all their rules about standards and practices. A you know, consummate <laughs> pro like Bobby Heenan isn't going to do that with, you know, if he knows what's going on. And he gets up and he walks around, tries to compose himself. Then after about a minute of doing that, he decides to go back to the uh, broadcasting area and he snaps straight back into Bobby Heenan, heel commentator, putting Pillman over. However, the very second the match finishes, he gets up and walks around again. So he was still clearly rattled even four or five minutes after it happened, let alone in the four or five well, seconds
2: I, after it No, because Pillman, after he wins the match, slides out the ring right by the announce table, which is just round up against the ring so, uh, the ring so itself. And so I think Heenan was thinking, oh, he might come after me again. I don't think he got up yeah, just maybe. because he wanted to. I think he got up because he thought Pillman might try something. That's or, so- or they're in on an angle and Heenan wanted to look legitimately scared of Pillman.
4: That's that's also possible too, but I'm still I'm still thinking that Hina had no idea at all that this was happening. I I suspect that. That's 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 my opinion. So I haven't done any background reading on this. I I don't know for certain, but I'll tell you what it's 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 got us talking. I mean just.
2: Well if you all just say fuck but... Clive on air, it's gonna get people talking to be yep.
4: Absolutely and especially on Turner Television, say so with all the rules and regulations they've got. I mean where they're going with this Pillman character, I've I haven't seen anything like it before. We've we've seen very in both WWF and WCW in the past when people had played inverted commas mad characters, very, 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 very cartoony, cheesy things.
3: Yeah, definitely no one is, you know you, I agree with, the, sorry to jump in, but whenever we've seen uh, cartoon-type Mad Men before, everything from the music to the camera angle to what the announcers are saying, and I totally agree with you, it's like nothing we've seen before.
4: I mean, he's just, when he just, on oh, was match on Nitro the day before the Clash, when he's just screaming into the camera, full metal jacket! And I'm like, whoa, this guy's, this guy doesn't breathe the same air as us, you know? <laughs> and if this is, if this is his character, then boy, is he going all the way with it? Ooh, it's it, it's unnerving viewing, and that is that's a compliment to him. But where where is this going to end up? This could end up literally
3: anywhere. Steve, so Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, you know. I, I th- it's, uh, it's, not only is it adding an extra dimension to him, it's adding an extra dimension to the broadcast because he, he could literally pop up at any time. You've got the situation where you've got Arn Anderson who's trying to rein him in a bit. On We've seen that on the Nitro shows. Um, you, you get a feeling that um, anything could happen with him. And also as well, you think with the Bobby Heenan thing, He's in the horseman. You've got guys like Anderson, you've got guys like Flair who are so sort of old school. Are they going to be unnerved by him if he's allowed to maybe say and do what he wants? Is that going to cause tension as well with the talent? Um, I don't know. But, as you know, I I mean, I've I've not read anything about that yet, Um, if that is happening but a great, great sort of, and, and every time he's on the show now, whether he's just part of the horseman, so he's in the background, he's doing something, he's he's, he's mugging to the camera, or he's, 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 he's jesting to the crowd, um, you can't take your eyes off him.
2: No, um, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, I feel like, again, as I said earlier, I think if you can get the balance right between transitioning to an in-ring start, and it, you know, while you guys were talking, I was kind of drawing a comparison with Gold Dust in a weird kind of way in this. This is, let's present something that looks a bit out of the ordinary that kind of, you know, Razor Ramones reactions to Gold Dust as, as we saw at the Royal Rumble that let's present someone that feels like they're doing something very, very different. It's all got to fit. And I, I don't want to run over ground that we covered at the Royal Rumble show, but I can't, one thing I liked about Goldust this month at the Rumble was that his in-ring mannerisms and his in-ring actions fit the Goldust character outside. I think Pillman needs to get that balance in the ring. If he can do that, it'll be compelling. Cause you know, as, as I say, it's not, it's not like you need to be a great in-ring worker to get to the top. If, if anything, WCW and to a degree WF shows us the character is probably more important, um, than the in-ring action itself. Um, but equally, if you're going to get that far, as someone like Brian Pillman, I think being able to get his wrestling style in tune with his his new character needs to pull that off. But anyway, <coughs> we will we will see how that passes. Just,
4: just just one one more thing, very quickly oh. on that, very very quickly. Just imagine the promos in a feud between Brian Pillman and Goldust, and shudder. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that <be>, yeah. <laughs>
4: think about that for a second on that thought
2: we move on (laughs) hulk hogan is out along with the macho man and footballer kevin green hogan says he and macho have a lot of momentum behind them green does his best oh yeah hogan says miss elizabeth will be in their corner tonight but they've got a problem when they win the match which one of them gets to take liz out on the town hogan says to savage we all know she's more than you can handle and we move on. It's the Blue Bloods, Lord Steven Regal, and Robert Eaton versus Sting and Lex Luger for the WCW Tag Team titles. Regal, who also wrestled in the opener, um, apparently also carrying an injury. So a lot of his action involvement in this match was more kind of selling than it was in ring work. Uh, Regal looks repulsed by, well, everything. Uh, Sting double slaps Regal, then mocks his posturing selling. So Regal sells like he's been dazed. Luger and Ian fight on the R-Way Luger ties up with Regal in the corner Regal pleads with Luger Unhand me! Unhand me! Regal returns with an uppercuts The fans start to rally behind Luger who's playing the babyface in peril here Eaton drops an knee from the top rope Regal locks in a side-lock STF but Sting breaks it up Eaton throws himself off the top Luger tries to catch him but almost drops him Luger gets the hot tag to Sting who unloads on, on both men <clears throat> Luger, who should be selling on the outside pops straight back into the action before getting level Sting knocks Eaton into the regal puts a store- scorpion deathlock in on Eaton Eaton submits and the champs retain Rory uh,
4: This was fine, this was okay um, Sting and Luger, big name against tag team who are fairly low on the food chain I'd like them to be higher but uh, we are where we are, and this was perfectly acceptable, eight to nine minutes of action again, nothing earth-shattering, outside of Regal's mannerisms, I mean, the guy is just an absolute scream, absolute scream, he's into everything he does, even when Sting's applying a very simple arm-ringer, you know, Regal is, it's, it's almost an insult just to call it selling, he is with it every single second of the way, it's really compelling viewing, which you don't see a lot in uh, in North America, uh, and i I hope that at some point they do find something else for him to do because he's uh he is supremely talented both in the ring and character work and this is playing a character who uh, who i don 't really get a whole lot from because i wasn't around in seventeen seventy six so playing an uh, playing an, an archetypal Englishman who sips tea and Eats crumpets and says bloody quite a lot. Okay, that's that's what you're gonna that's what you're gonna get in WCW. Okay, I can I can accept that. But the blue bloods, yeah, all right, fair enough. He's from Blackpool, but you know, never mind. Um, but the the well, match was fine again. Eaters from Stoke. Eaters from Stoke. Yeah, yes, indeed. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Need we say more? And um, I was saying that uh, Luger again. Again, I I enjoyed what Luger was doing in this. This is. I wouldn't quite go as far to say it's out-and-out new lease of life for his character, but it's something that he's pretty much throwing himself into. And Sting was Sting, as we say on this show every month. So, a match which didn't mean a whole lot in the long run, but, as we say in the game, perfectly acceptable wrestling.
2: Yeah, I'm guessing that if Luger is worried about... Not getting a big heel reaction in some places and not getting a big babyface reaction in others. One solution is just to play both and then just yep. go with it. Um, and I would also say that Regal, maybe because we're British, maybe we're more in tune to him. But I thought he was quite entertaining in this match. Uh, Steve?
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything, uh, everything that's been said already. already. Regal was fantastic. I mean, all four really played the, played the roles. Um, beautifully you know four pros in there um you've got the Luger situation um you know it's interesting to see what happens there uh but regal is is superb and and like rory said whether there's anything more for him whether they can build him into anything more um because what you're getting with him at the moment is fantastic but it's painted in very broad strokes isn't it you know it's 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 for an american audience and the way they perceive you know the brits to be um Whether they can do anything else with him, I don't know. But at the moment, I wouldn't really want to do anything else with him because he's he's such a great sort of part of the show. He had a great match with uh, Guerrero um, earlier on this month, uh, which I thought was great. But the the, the mannerisms, the selling, um, Rory, like you say, you couldn't. Yeah, you don't even call it selling. Everything he does is just fantastic, um, and I and I thought it was great.
2: Yeah, um, good match. Um, I, I think Luger hasn't worked a babyface tag match in a while, given that he basically just Tagged in Sting and then got straight back on the apron and, uh, and ready for action. I think he probably forgot there. He might have to sell sell his uh, beatdown for a few minutes. Um, but, yeah, entertaining enough match. Uh, Regal, even when he can't work, he's still spectacular with facial expressions. I think he's probably only second to Yokozuna in that regard. Um, but, yeah, um, entertaining match. I like the Sting and Luger dynamic. It's just about fluid enough where it's working. Um it's going to have to go somewhere at some point, but I think we're all right at the moment. Um, anyway, we are back to the chapel, the heat are Manning the Buffet. Sherry arrives, looking worse aware. Parker says he's been losing money all day, and Sherry is clearly pissed, e.g. drunk. But uh, coming up in just a moment, there's a guy that I really want to talk to, and I mean really want to talk to. He's the uh,
6: loose cannon of the four horsemen. Let's bring out now, Brian Pillman.
0: Brian, I'd like to
6: know... No, I'm not no. nervous. I'm not nervous at all. it hey, should be. It's
0: live TV, Eric. What if I rifle off the seven right here, right now? Not the seven deadly sins. Not the seven vials of God's wrath.
7: But the seven words
0: you're not Don't allowed even to about it Don't on TV. It. What are you going to do then, Eric? I'll do whatever I have to do. No, no you won't do anything. You'll be get him. But don't worry, Eric. Seems like Mr. Wonderful has made tonight's subject, respect. Something you can't buy, something you can't sell, something you can't steal. You've got to earn it. Respect. It's what pumps the ice water through the horseman's black hearts. It's what causes a man like Double A to smack me across the face. And the greed and the quest of respect is what makes a man like Gavin Sullivan mad with greed. Yeah, you're right, Eric. I'm not Hogan, I'm not Savage, I'm not Sting, I'm Brian Pillman, and don't you ever forget it,
7: and I have a dream,
0: and that is to teach you and everybody else respect, and I'll do whatever it takes, even if I gotta hack your thumbs up. Easy, Pillman, easy, Pillman, you are treading
2: thin, thin ice more action on the Clash of the Champions. Eric Bischoff brings out Byron Pillman. Pillman asks if he's nervous. Pillman asks what happens if he says one of the seven words you're, or even <laughs> all of the seven words you're not allowed to say on TV. Well, I presume Heenan's already not one of them off so six. <laughs> uh, Pillman turns the topic to Mr. Wonderful. He says he will do whatever it takes to teach them respect. Next up, it's Conan versus Psychosis for the AAA Mexican Heavyweight Championship. Mike, T- Mike Taney joins Tony Schiferny and Bobby Heenan on the call. Conan does an arm drag and Psychosis goes flying across the ring. Conan does a rolling takedown into a leg and arm submission. Heedon, he's got pointed ears. Shivoni, that's his mask, Bob. Heedon, you never know. Conan does a halting catapult into a leg and arm submission. Eric Bischoff will address the billionaire tag segments on the hotline tonight. Shivoni only references them as certain skits being used by another promotion. Meanwhile, we get a pair of head scissors takedowns and a pair of arm drags and the spike DDT psychosis it's a lovely top rope drop kick then a tope up the aisle way. conan german suplexes psychosis off of the top that was impressive conan locks in a zip lock finisher a modified figure four leg lock with an arm involved as well which psychosis submits to and this one is all over steve
3: i loved it i thought it was great um I- I like it because it's something a bit different, and I like the way WCW are approaching it by getting Tanayan in to do the commentary. Um, All right, yeah, you've still got Bobby Heenan, who, you know... Clearly, this type of action, he, he, he's out of his depth and he, and he just reverts to cracking the one-liners, which is fine. But I like the presentation, I like the fact that they're taking it seriously, they're not trying to change. You know, the are referencing AAA, they're not trying to change the the style. I mean, I'm guessing it's, it's, it's toned down a little bit for the WCW audience, I'm, uh, I'm guessing.
2: But I think um, also to a point, Conan, while being good, isn't your stereotypical AAA masked high-flyer. no. I think having seen Mysterio and Psychosis in ECW, that is a more typical AAA style high-flying lucha match. I think more Conan's in the ring. He's a bit more of an all-rounder, says a person who doesn't know a lot about Mexican lucha wrestling, but that's my understanding.
3: Yeah, so therefore I think it fits better for the for WCW, you know, sort of audience who are used to a certain way of, uh, of wrestling. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really good, some really good Spot in it and uh, as i say i like the fact that they use a different commentary team or they you know that they, they bring 10 in at least on this one um to give it something a little bit different and i'd like to see more of this on um on nitro i'd like to see you know at least once a week now something like this and maybe bringing in more stars um for, for these one-off international style matches should we call them
2: um yeah, but maybe. Um I, I think they've got enough of an issue at the moment when it comes to having a lot of lower card guys that don't have much of a character. I don't know whether you whether you bring in more of them, whether it sticks. Um I kind of feel like I'd rather devote that time to getting guys like you know, D Milenko and Eddie Guerrero and Alex Wright, giving people a bit more of a reason to be invested in them. Not, not that it'll be the worst idea. I just feel like if you've got 45 minutes, 50 minutes a week on Nitro.
3: That's true. They're, yeah. They're yeah. It's it, yeah, a limited perfect. time, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, maybe some of these guys perhaps don't need, not say they don't need character, but I think some, with some of the guys, they just need to get maybe give us six minutes in the ring and that maybe might be enough, um, without having to do anything much more with the character in the short term. I don't know. Rory.
4: Uh, Cracking stuff here, I thought. Really, 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 really good. This is the first time I've seen Conan in any real length of a match, and I was really impressed with him. I think when you called him an all-rounder, Bob, you you got it spot on. Um, His technical work was excellent. His stuff was hard-hitting. Everything was in the right place when he was on defence. I was really, really impressed. I've seen a fair bit of psychosis and I know what he can do. I'm going to say in this match, psychosis actually seems to be playing second fiddle through most of what we saw, but I think this match was pretty much meant to all be about Conan. And I think that was exemplified a bit by the fact he got a tiny bit of promo time to talk about this match on the previous Nitro. And it was really good action. I was into it from start to finish. And speaking of finish, what was it? A, z- a ziplock? A sort of a, a figure of four where he's leaning forward and then pulling his opponent's hands in as well. It's, which is, looks very realistic. I've got to say, you've got to struggle to escape from that. And the submission looks like the only, only legitimate outcome. So um I like that one. I certainly wasn't expecting it. Um but I think that move could get over as well. I hope so. It's um, in a good place on the card, just Running up towards the main event as well. Very good. Um, I hope that going forward, though, WCW don't treat the Mexican wrestlers as just a palate cleanser for main events. At this stage, where they've only just really begun bringing them in, I can cope with it, but I do hope that they do have um, full stories, angles, etc., to go with as well. But all this self contained, big thumbs up.
2: Yeah. Really like this match. Uh, I've seen bits of Conan before and I've been, I've seen good bits of Conan, I've seen bad bits of Conan. I saw him try to get a good match out of uh, Sandman earlier this month, which you can listen to on our <laughs> Volume 3 on our ECW show. He didn't actually do that bad a job, to be fair. Um, well. <laughs> well, well, compared to your, listen to that show, you, 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 you'll, you'll hear our, our views on that. Um, but no, I, I, I like this match from start to finish. I mean, Psychosis, we know from ECW is great. Um, Conan, okay, it helps when you're in the ring with Psychosis, someone you can throw around a bit, but they, these two meshed really well, as if they haven't wrestled each other presumably a lot before anyway. Um, but a, a number of really good moments, and I agree about the finisher. It's kind of like, it's an improved figure four. It's a figure four with all the impact on the legs, but if you pull the arm through into kind of like a triangle, all of a sudden I imagine you're applying a lot more pressure on the midsection as well. So a very painful looking move and one that if Conan doesn't stay in the United States for long I suspect somebody might nick Um because that's that's the kind of finisher that I I may not have thought of until I'd seen it but I was very impressed by that um, yeah bit two two big thumbs up for me in this one like the Guerrero Pelman match like the Wright Malenko match like the Nasty Boys against the Public Enemy I hope we see this match next month and I hope it gets longer Um that would be uh, my request for that anyway Sherry's getting changed in the back of the limo. Parker now wants $30 from Oakland. He's, he's, he's lowered his, bet, his price. Uh, Oakland offers to walk Sherry down the aisle. We're doing the wedding in the drive through now. Sherry is suffering from some memory loss Disco Inferno dances down the aisle Dick Slater is tearing up There are no objections And just when the segment starts going properly down the drain the Sherry just starts rambling on Here's Medusa The fight gets quite violent very quickly They eventually get split apart And the segment ends with a shot of Disco Inferno Clutching three bottles of champagne And hogging them with the, all of his life um, Rory, comments on this uh, and the kind of intertwined, stitch-through story of the, the wedding stuff throughout the show. It wasn't great.
4: No, it wasn't. It's it's sloppy and silly. One thing I will say, I thought the Colonel did his best with the material he was given. Uh, he's, he, he's a pretty damn decent actor in these role, and he has been for the last, ever since this storyline, which I haven't in its own right been a fan of. His performances in it have been uh, really, really good, again, going all the way back to four brawl and carrying carrying it on here. He's he's very, very entertaining, but you can't lift what's a very, very silly angle. I mean, wedding angles in professional wrestling, nobody watches professional wrestling to see people get married. You know, you just know it's going to end in tears, or in this case, a cake having all of its tears smashed. (laughs) Yes, he got it in there. Get him. Um, How long and, did you
2: have that one prepared?
4: <laughs> Why did you think I wanted to be on this particular show? Ah, oh, um, there we go. <laughs> but no, it's, and it, 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 it just meandered along. Gene Oakland was particularly annoying during all of these segments as well, <laughs> even by his own quite high standards in such a form. And it just ends with the big, big, big brawl. Nothing gets settled, and we end by seeing Disco Inferno holding some champagne bottles because, hey, why not? But um, Colonel did his best, but
3: it wasn't fun at all. Not not enjoyable. Steve? Just... I didn't think it was that bad. I, I quite enjoyed <laughs> it throughout the show, and I, uh, I I actually enjoyed Gene on this. I thought he he'd made some really good sort of uh, little gags, sort of pointing away from the camera as he does often, and, and re- referencing things that we can't see, and his little sort of uh, line that he threw to the taxi driver. I I liked all that. I mean, I I know it's ridiculous, and I know it's sort of, you know, as you said, weddings and wrestling and how it goes. I didn't think it was too bad, really, Uh, but that's me. I I I don't mind this sort of thing. (laughs)
2: Yeah, um, we, we've seen Clash of the Champion events before where they've had this you know, these kind of stitch-through stories. I recall the one, uh it would have been the, the August Clash from 94 that referenced in the news where Hogan gets attacked at the start and then it's the case of can he get back in time. So it's not the first time they've done this. Um, it wasn't great. This program with Sherry and Parker feels like it's gone on forever. I don't particularly think anyone's ever really been interested in it. Um, the bit with Parker t- needing twenty dollars for the taxi and and, and changing his price for, for for Oakland was quite funny. The bit with o- uh, Inferno grabbing champagne was quite funny. I could have done without it, but it's a free TV show. Their prerogative is to try and put in some. I'm guessing some or entertainment. I guess it could have been worse. Um, but it re- like it's just a lot of characters I don't care about, and it's. We wanna talk about Medusa returning to or oh, know yeah, joining returning to WCW. Um, this is the best they've come up for in a month. Um, you know, she debuted on what, December the eighteenth, I think. Um, and now we're here a month later and you haven't been able to find any other female talent to work with I like Sherry but she's not a wrestler. Um, yeah, I could have done without it.
4: It does make you wonder what the Original end game for this um, Parker Sherry thing was going to be because obviously this started back in about September. Hang
2: on, are, uh, are, the, are you telling me they had an end game for this? I, yeah, I would, again, I wouldn't, uh... Uh, I'm
4: wouldn't... i playing angels advocate with WCW here. <laughs> the dangerous game to play, I admit. Medusa only came in in December, so they probably thought to just to blow it off by te- by using all of this just to set up a Sherry Medusa food in the end. Nah, I'm not having it.
2: And we move on to the main event. It's Ric Flair and the Giant. Uh, with Jimmy Hart versus Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan with Kevin Green and a series of ladies that included women. Also included Hulk Hogan's actual wife, uh, his, her wife, his wife's sister and someone else, I think. Uh, Savage and Hogan's music come out to Hogan's music, then Savage music's hit and out comes Miss Elizabeth. Uh, Flair mocks the three point stance, Kevin Green climbs on the apron and gets in the ring, Green gets a three point stance on his own and Flair retreats. Flair grabs the mic and Badmouth green Saric body drops Flair and levels him with some rights Flair does the Flair flip nails the camera on the apron takes a big boot for good measure from Hogan Sarge goes for a backslide for a two Flair tags in the Giant the crowd are up for this and they want Hogan too Giant wins a test of strength and another Sarge wanders over to Hogan and gives him some advice presumably something on the lines of don't set his offence Hogan tries a body slam to no avail Giant does a much easier job of it Giant is still good at individual spots, but he's a long way off being able to string them together into anything coherent. He headbutts Hogan's groin. Giant goes for an elbow drop, uh, but Hogan moves. Hogan body slams Giant, then sells his back. Giant tags out. Flair sets Hogan for a suplex. Struggles to get him up, but does so. Hogan rakes the eye. Flair pokes Hogan in the eye. Hogan starts no selling Flair's chops, then body drops him off the top. Savage tags in, drops the axe handle off the top. Hogan sends Giant over the top rope. No disqualification. Savage drops an elbow to Flair. Macho Man nails heart on the apron. Flair levels Savage with some knuckles. Flair pins Savage, wins the match. What a shit finish I've got in my notes. And the match and the show go off the air with Kevin Green protesting at Rinside. Out comes Zodiac and Pillman. Green and Hogan clean house and tend to Savage. Roy
4: you were far too kind on that finish, Bob. <laughs> I'll get to that in a sec. This match was how show standard, really. How show length. How show competitors even two big baby faces against two big heels. The only thing missing was the baby faces going over. That was the original plan now, as we know, but they changed that to placate flair. The action was uh, just approaching solid, I guess. I mean nobody in there was really really particularly brought their working boots when Flair doesn't bring his own working boots yeah you're in trouble and that is what happened here the giant actually has a couple of decent moves about him but like they just there's no real flow or rhyme or reason to them Hogan was Hogan Savage is still injured and that finish was utter cock wasn't it really just absolute rubbish utter rubbish finish I mean Birth, school, work, Jimmy Hart gets upon the apron and distracts the referee, death. How many more times are we gonna see that? Uh, and it was, it was rubbish. And, and remind me of the point of uh, Kevin Green being there, somebody please. Um, uh, a
2: yeah, just just for some star power, I guess. The I mean, you, know, you, you, have to, you have to motion. forgive us this side of the Atlantic for not really being able to appreciate how big any of these guys are. It's not something I... I mean, he, he might be for
4: all... And I mean, I, I, I plead ignorance here. Kevin Green might be a big name. I know nothing about Gridiron at all, much, so there you go. Um, all I know about him is that he he shouts a bit and says, Super Bowl Sunday, baby. <laughs> That's about the extent of it. But, hey, you got to throw the Zodiac over the top rope. Yeah, so, so I'm quite envious of him in that respect. But yes, um a fairly pointless main event that didn't really develop anything in any real angle or storyline fashion with pretty average at best action and ends with the baby faces mugging for the camera. Not, not else much to say, I'm afraid. This was, this was drab at best.
2: Steve?
3: Yeah, my notes, the first thing is, house show quality is what I've written down, so I couldn't agree with you more, Rory, on this one. Um again, you know, a loaded, um a loaded main event, they've, they've surrounded the ring, you know, they've, they've got this, um, um American footballer guy in who, I'm same as you, plead ignorance, I couldn't tell you whether he was a big name or not. Um he didn't come across as a big deal from me, but again, I, cause I don't know him, but, it didn't seem to be a big deal. The crowd, I say, up. The crowd seems to like it, and and the, the spots with the giants, um, I thought were were okay, and the crowd liked it. And then that finish. At what point in the week? At what point during the day did they, they decide to change the finish because it was um, awful?
2: Yeah, um, this will tie to what we discussed at the end of the show in a little bit. This was. I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was kind of inevitable, but this, uh, as I said at the top, it feels like these three guys have aged so much in the last year, 18 months. So much. I don't know whether it's just because now we've got Nitro, we're seeing them a lot more, and beforehand it was, Hogan was appearing on the odd edition of Saturday night, and then it was just the pay-per-views. But I feel like we, you know, even to a point with the extent of the we we see these guys to death in so many different combinations of matches, of angles, of promos. It didn't feel fresh. The crowd wasn't into it, which was quite a surprise. Um, they were into a bit of it when the Giant came in. But I, again, I think that's just his size. Um, mm. And it just. It just didn't work. And then, you know, a match that doesn't mean anything, at least the world title match on Nitro the night before meant something. Um, yeah, very disappointing. Um, a very disappointing end to the show. Um, and yeah, we will, we'll probably discuss this a little bit more in, in a wider context, uh, right at the end of the show. Uh, Rory, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10.
4: Despite the slow start, which could have been a really high impact start. And the very very poor drab finish. I thought this was an excellent two hours of free television based wrestling. You're not expecting the earth, you don't get it. You just want to get five or six average to good to very good quality matches with a little bit of storyline developments for in other areas as well. And we got all of that. There are places to go for some of these characters. Uh, I would like to have seen a bit more in some other quarters as well. But especially uh, Pillman's, where we're going with Pillman in particular, I mean that's enough for three or four other angles, let alone just the one that he's he himself is partaking in. So yes, I enjoyed this. Taking into consideration the free television caveat, I'm upping this from a six to a seven.
2: Steve
3: yeah I agree with that I think um free t v so you've got a certain expectation of what you're going to get um with the you know the main event was what it was um but there were some great matches in it, and I didn't mind the wedding thing so much, but it will be remembered i think um looking back to for the Brian pillman Bobby heenan uh angle I think that's the the one take home that I got out of it and that it was something that I'm going to be looking forward to, um, coming out of this is where they go with Pillman. And that really got me. So, um, overall I'd probably give it a seven as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I- I'll tell in slightly lower at a six, um, uh, there is some really good stuff on the show. Um, some stuff that I think over deliver for a TV show, but there's just too many troughs, um, you know, namely the wedding segment that stitched throughout that wasn't—it <laughs> was too poor, I think—and uh, a real a real stinker of a main event. I think those are the those are two things that stood out for me. I'll give it a six. There's certainly a lot worth going back to watching this, um, but there's a lot I would fast forward through, and and some stuff that's disappointingly indicative of some wider issues with uh, with WCW right now. January the 29th opens up with Eric Bischoff saying this could be the biggest Nitro ever. The powers that be seem to have decided that Hogan and Flair has finished as a pay-per-view draw, so they're now resorting to running this match into the ground on television. They're opening up this show. Hogan is accompanied uh, to the ring by a uh, woman, uh, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan, uh, his actual wife, uh, his wife's sister and Miss Elizabeth. This is the same old stuff with Hogan no-selling chops, getting a mixed reaction. A long match that sees Flair and Elizabeth interact quite frequently. Hogan hulks up with no reaction at all from the crowd. He then does a big boot, drops the leg, but Hart distracts the referee. Flair ends up hitting Hogan with Elizabeth's shoe. Uh, that's the spike to the eye which is enough to keep Hogan down so they cut to Hogan before the break Hogan is bleeding from the eye after Flair wins the match The Barbarian is back you will remember his head of Sione in the WWF last year alongside Meng and they are called The Faces of Fear. They can't let that name go, can they? They're up against the Road Warriors. Bischoff talks up the defeat of Hogan like it's a big deal. Bischoff. WCW has introduced more new talent in the last 90 days than anyone else has in the last two years. And we're not talking about a group hall wannabes here. We're talking about world-class athletes. He then says there are two types of music that he doesn't like. Country and western. This is a surprisingly long and even match in front of a crowd that's significantly hotter than they were for Hogan and Flair earlier. The Road Warriors eventually win though, which was surprisingly decent. Sullivan calls out Arn Anderson. They made a pact and he wants them to keep his word and keep Pillman in check. Anderson calls Pillman immature and says he's part of a team. If he's going to act like a child, then there's the thing called tough love. Anderson takes off his belt and goes to hit him, but Sullivan and Hugh Morris attack Anderson before then attacking Pillman. Notable was Pillman hiding while Morris and Sullivan attacked Anderson. Anderson demands a match with Sullivan and Morris, and it looks like he's going to get it. We come back to an in-ring segment. Medusa dr- jumps off the top rope and crossbodies Sherry. The pair brawl to the outside. Medusa hits a lovely snap suplex. Quite a physical segment this, with Medusa hitting some hard back leg round kicks, as Bishop called them. Sherry attended to the top, ascended rather. Medusa threw her off, but Sherry rolled her through and got a pin. Reducer responded with a German suplex that may have knocked Sherry spark out. Producer seeing this, then decided to just ram her head into the mat about a dozen times. The main event of the world title match that never got started. Savage attacked the giant from behind with the title belt, then grabbed him in a sleeper hold. Giant escaped the hold and he and Flair attacked Savage. For minutes, nobody came to Savage's aid until eventually Hogan comes out wielding a chair wearing a bandage over his eye. He cleans house with a chair, running off the giant, Hugh Morris... Uh, one man gang Taskmaster and Zodiac you name it everybody Flair jumps on the announcer's desk he says he's beaten Hogan twice and he says we're getting two cases at Super Bowl he's going to take Savage his belt and Elizabeth one more time
5: all right, I thank you very much, Eric Bishop, along with Hugh Morris from the Dungeon of Doom. Here's the leader of the pack, so to speak, Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. What's up this week?
0: Well, I have a problem. You know, we made a pact with the four horsemen, and I always thought that Iron Anderson, the enforcer, was a man of his word.
5: Let's go back and take a look at recently some of the, well, I guess, differences of opinion that occurred between you and... And the four horsemen, when I say you, I'm talking about the Dungeon of Doom.
0: Yeah, let's go back and look at it right now,
5: because Iron Anderson gave me his word. Well, you take a look at at what happened. Actually, he's the voice of reason, in my opinion. He said something
0: that made sense. He's the voice of reason. He Let me tell you something. To be a four horseman, you have to be one of the elite. You just saw Rick Flair beat Hulk Hogan, something the Dungeon's been trying to do.
5: I'm not going to argue with you, Kevin Sullivan. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with you at all.
0: First, let me just say this: you and I made a pact, and you have always been a man of your word. And I intend for you to keep your word. With this loose cannon, you either discipline him or suffer the consequences. Art Anderson, I am a man of my word, and I am going to take care of this. Pillman, in case you were wondering, I don't know where you were a few minutes ago, but Flair just beat Hogan all by himself in the middle of the ring, and you were nowhere to be found. But as usual, I took care of it. It's that same immaturity that's running rampant through your life right now. You're not an individual. You're one of the four horsemen. The elite in all of professional sports. That means you're part of a team. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, i will talk to you. I even smacked you to try to get a little sense out of you. Now, if you're going to act like a child, there's a thing in this world called tough love. That's all that's left. Do you understand? But on this case, it's going to hurt you more than it does me.
7: Desperate people have a tendency to do desperate things. And when you get desperate, you get beat every single time. These were the words of Eric Bischoff before he'd even had the chance to see the first billionaire Ted segment from Monday Night Raw on New Year's Day. By the time the month was over, a Bischoff voicemail for Vince McMahon and a letter written to him would all be mentioned on Raw. You can hear more about the details of those in Volume 1 of this month's show. As for WCW's response to the less-than-thinly-veiled accusations about WCW's lack of a steroid testing programme, the initial reaction was to form a legal response, although this largely hasn't gone anywhere due to the billionaire TED segments being presented as satire, along with Hogan and Savage's past revelations about using steroids to one degree or another. At the very least, WCW have gone on the defensive about their own substance abuse programme. Bischoff did a 10-minute segment with Mike Tenay on the WCW hotline, talking about a number of topics. He said there are a number of people within WCW who had a hard time complying with their drug testing policy and all ended up going to the WWF as a result. About Vince McMahon, he said that he spent three years in court because he has and has had a problem before calling McMahon the Verne Gagne of the 1990s. Bischoff did phone up Vince McMahon during January, only getting through to his secretary. Off the back of Nitro hammering Raw by an entire ratings point on Monday the 15th, Bischoff told McMahon to continue whatever he's doing with the billionaire Ted segments. On the hotline chat with Tanay, Bischoff said he didn't think going up against Raw was a gamble because he believed WCW had the superior talent, but he thought it might take two years for Nitro to match Raw in the ratings. He disagreed with the idea that Nacho was eating into pay-per-view buy rates, as he said they'd been dropping before Nacho started, but he did call WWF's In Your House shows television shows with a price tag added to them. While busy, it's hardly been that bad a month for Bischoff who signed a three-year deal with the company worth between three hundred and $500,000 per year. And if you want an indication of where the rivalry is at right now, look no further than a fire alarm going off in Canton where they were taping Nitro with people thinking it had been caused by the WWF.
2: Right, we come back off uh, that audio piece uh, from Stuart. Uh, we have discussed... Uh, the billionaire Ted stuff in, in quite a lot of detail on, uh, on volume one. Uh, from this side of thing, I think it's more of a case of discussing briefly WCW's reaction, whether they could have done anything different. Um Steve, I, I, I guess this is the price you pay when you start slinging so much mud. I don't know that you can feel all that upset when WCW finally fight, uh, WWF, sorry, finally fight back.
3: No, I agree. I, I just think that, you know, I mean, you, you're dealing with massive egos, I think's the problem, isn't it? So if you're a Hulk Hogan and you see the way that you're being portrayed on this, you, the, the, what we know and how we know Hulk Hogan is, he's going to take that absolutely. He's going to be devastated. He's going to be crushed. But as a from a business point of view, you know, it's always been the same. No holds barred, anything goes, you know it's a knife and a knife sort of business and I can't see really that I mean the, the, the throwing around the um, the, the threat of, of legal action because of the steroid sort of um, implication but really you know is this not what <laughs> the business is all about really you know trying to get one over on the next man and, and some of the low shots that have already been dealt from both sides I think from WWF clearly a rattled from when Nitro debuted, you know, I think that I don't think it's the it's the talent. I don't think the 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 that rather than the fact that WCW have got Hulk Hogan and have got Savage. From my point of view, I just think it's the performance of Nitro that have got them on the ropes a little bit. From WCW point of view, I would personally uh, ignore it because then I think you start getting the tit for tat and. From a viewer point of view, do you want to get involved? I mean, a lot of it's going to go over people's heads, I, I think. I mean, not the billionaire's head thing. I think that's obviously – it's obvious what they're trying to get at. But some of the more insider things that they could do and some of the, the phrases they could throw about, I think, is going to go over people's heads. So, really, they're only going to be doing it for themselves. And do they want to concentrate on that or do they want to concentrate on improving the product would be my um, sort of message.
4: Rory? WCW are not innocent bystanders in in this kind of thing, in the uh, tit-for-tat stakes between companies. Uh, Eric Bischoff, the executive producer, lest we forget, in his guise as commentator, this is a person who, on the second edition of Nitro, gave away the finishes of the WWF main event for Raw. Uh, So, that's that's a pretty low blow. Now, do I think WWF were necessarily right to respond the way they did with these These are billionaire uh, TED skits. No, I don't. I think they're actually quite funny, but that's the only thing they've really got going for them. What WCW should now do, I think they should keep their counsel on this one. Maybe, as was uh, intimated a couple of times during the clash, perhaps if you want to make reference to it one way or the other on uh, Gene's uh, hotline, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, they've talked about inside things on there for many months. I would not, I would Strongly, strongly advise them not to even consider doing something like their own on-air response to this. Their own, their own skits or anything remotely like that. I think that would be a, a terrible, terrible idea. Which is probably what WWF kind of want them to do they would really like WCW to take their gloves off here.
2: Well, don't WWF are reading private correspondence out on television. I think they're hoping for every action they can get. I think you're right. The, I think the best course of action is just try and try and stay, stick your course.
4: Absolutely. Uh, in this one, I think from a WCW perspective, discretion is the better part of valor on this one. Don't completely ignore it. And I'm sure they're having internal discussions about it pretty much every day because we know how much... Eric likes to actually watch Raw during during the Nitro uh, Nitro presentation, so I'm sure they're more than aware of it. But don't lower yourself by making a direct response, because I think that WWF are going to carry on doing this or this kind of thing or some other thing related to it for a good while yet, so they just need to, as difficult as it might be, just keep their counsel and basically let WWF on this one punch themselves out.
2: Yeah, um, you, you can't sling mud for four months and then get surprised when finally someone hits you back. Um, you know, w- with regards to the content, I guess we'll, yeah, we'll probably cover that in more detail then. in in the first part, but yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I'm kind of, I don't know whether the segments were great from a WWF perspective, but I'm kind of proud of them just for throwing a punch back, you know? It's like, you can only, you can only sit there for so long. I think you're completely right though, I don't, I don't know that WCW want to start fighting back, I think also just from the sense that if you want to start digging, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet when it comes to both companies, when it comes to re- the wrestling industry as a whole. I don't know that you want to be airing that dirty laundry out on television. Um, I don't think it's a good look, but equally I don't know that it's, you know... And, and there's also the thing as well that there's, you know, steroids are clearly an issue in wrestling full stop. You know, I don't think it's gone away. Marcus Bagwell returned to TV last month looking huge. Um... Yeah, there's there's something there. We're talking about the Road Warriors coming back to television, they're big guys. You know, there's any number of names you want to look at that all look inflated. I don't wanna you know, I didn't find many people and Bagwell's pretty bloody obvious to be to be frank. Um yeah, I just I would try not to make a big deal of it. You know, I wouldn't uh, some people are saying they they kind of slowed down their jibes. I don't know that they did. I mean there was the implication that some people were making that they were had or were going to kind of tone down the the where the big boys play references, they they still said it. Um and yeah, I mean I yeah, I I wouldn't do anything different long story short and I I'd, I'd try and ride it out and, and let do I think you said you're right just let them punch themselves out. Um and yeah, it, 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 if something needs to be said, then yeah, perhaps say it. But I, I, I think twice before for firing any shots back because this could get ugly fast. Um, and yeah, we'll, we will discuss that more in volume one. So, so we'll leave that there for now. And obviously, we have that, that that reader there, so you kind of filled in on the story, and we'll pick up on it next month if, as and if and when more stuff happens. Um, the final topic of the month, which which kind of ties into the um the bit in that TED stuff, is. Just a more general thing, we, we've spoken about it both in reviewing the Clash main event and the, the match from Nitro we talked about. Um, but Rory, I don't know about you, but it, it's this whole Flair Savage Hogan main event lot. It's, it's starting to wear quite thin.
4: Very thin. I'm getting quite tired of it now, to be honest. Uh, They are, they are the big, whether we like it or not, they are the big guys and they are always going to be relied on to be thrown into main events to pop ratings, buy rates, house show attendances, whatever. That's just a fact. That doesn't mean we should necessarily appreciate that though. I'm, I'm very tired of it and I think some of the talent are getting tired of it as well, including the talent involved. I mean, as I said when I was talking about uh, the Clash main event, Flair just, Flair was definitely dogging it during that particular match. That was, that wasn't even greatest hits, Flair. If, um, and if he's getting tired of it, vis- visually getting tired of it, and if what was said in the news backstage is getting tired of it, and he's one of the people involved, something which even involves him winning the title for a short amount of time, then they really have got problems. Is it just as simple as elevating new stars? Now, it'd help. I don't think they've started... Yes, it would help, but have they really even started started to do that? Is there anybody really, realistically, who is really trying to bash down the glass ceiling at this point?
2: They might be getting there with Pillman. Um, Diamond Dallas Page is is a really good 12-month push away. Um (sighs) There's nobody that close, though, and there's nobody... No. That, and it, it's not the case that... It's also the point that I don't think... you don't feel, It's not like some guys... You know, you'll know, you see WWF try with guys and then give up on them. Mm. A lot of cases with WCW, it just doesn't feel like they're trying.
4: Exactly. WCW don't have what I would call semi-main eventers. You have the main eventers, we know who they are. Then there's a pretty big drop. I mean, they haven't really got anybody, anybody there like, say... Like, uh, David Boy Smith, for example, somebody who can be slotted in, can be giving, can be given, uh, main event views before dropping back down slightly, hovering between the two. They haven't even got anybody who can do that. There's an almighty chasm between the big stars and the mid card. And they really need to properly start and go with it during this, during this particular year. Because if we're here in 12 months time talking about another go round of Savage Flair Hogan main events, then we're just going to drop out completely and WCW 18 months ago when they brought in uh, brought in Hogan and then a few months after when they brought in Savage they knew what they were getting and they knew why they were getting them okay but that was then you cannot keep relying on the same old formulas at least change something up I thought there was a brilliant example in the I'm, I meant to mention it during the night I it now briefly uh, during the uh, Savage Hogan discussion, just after Savage won the title at Nitro, and there was a shot of somebody this guy, if you're listening, get in touch about five rows back in a green jumper, who was giving Hogan absolute pelters <laughs> screaming abuse at him, and then he grabbed from somewhere one of those foam Hogan Hogan toy finger things and started punching it <laughs> I thought, you know what mate, I'm exactly with you on that one um, so
2: so I say they name. give all of those out free. People aren't buying those. The, the, <laughs> those. Those things, those foam Hogan hands you see in the crowd are all. It's the, it's the Hogan kind of. I'm doing it like people can see it. It's the Hogan flex pose with his arm outstretched. Uh, those yeah. those foam Hogan things are all being given out.
4: Oh fuck! Just just name your prize for me to have one of those. <laughs> I'm glad they're giving out free. But yes, I thought that was a perfect hard camera example. Of, that they need to make serious changes at the top of the card. But just like I said earlier, it's the easy outcome. They know it's going to pop ratings, buy rates. I fear that against all the best advice, they're going to keep doing it. I hope I'm wrong.
2: Steve, has this come on anymore? Is this a problem that was going to happen anyway, or has it been exacerbated by Nitros?
3: I think it's the nitros factor the fact that you're seeing these guys now week in week out and at first it's great because you know you're getting a greatest hits collection really and you know you're seeing Hogan you're seeing Flair you're seeing Savage they're wrestling each other and they're going through their repertoire which we all have seen and we all enjoy but now we're sort of four or five months into Nitro and it's the same every week like we've said and not only are they not elevating any stars to go into that main event bracket, but the stars themselves are just not evolving, the characters are not evolving, and I think that is also an issue as well. Um, You know, if if they were to, um, let's take a a Brian Pillman and put him into that main event um, situation, I think it would look at the moment odd seeing a brian pillman with all the um the nuances and and, and all the character developments in there with a a one-dimensional um hulk hogan so i think hogan savage and flair need to evolve as characters as well and the other thing is is if they do um promote from within and and, and have a have a pillman or like you say in 12 months time a ddp might be ready to mix in with with the uh, main events Ah. Uh, the established main event guys with those egos that they have, are they going to just brush him off like they're nothing? You know, are they going to allow them to look competitive? Um, that is an, an issue for um, the sort of medium to long term as well. I think also as well, Hogan, Savage, Flair, have they got any motivation to, to improve? You know, these are really highly paid stars who, you know, all have a certain degree of creative control, I guess, you know, they're not, Really doing things that they don't want to do, and when they are asked to do things they don't want to do, they can quickly say they don't want to do it, and things are rewritten. You know, the case with with, with Flair. Um, so I think as well, there's the, there's so many ways of looking at this, but no matter what, the changes need to be made sooner rather than later because this, you know, th- these, these greatest hits, as we're seeing them each and every week, are really getting stale now with me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's a case of these guys shouldn't still be main eventers. Although, you know, in a, in a month where WWF are ripping you because all your guys are old, maybe there is a thought to change, maybe. But I think it's more a case of, I don't know, they should be main eventers together. I mean, they, they've done the Flair Hogan thing to death. I don't think that's going to draw yeah. any more on pay-per-view. Um, eventually they'll get to Hogan and Savage, I suppose, and I think, that will draw as a first-time match on pay-per-view, probably, and you get it right. But it just feels like it's a lot of old guys going through the motions, and it's not a good look, and it's, uh, I think Rory's right. It's perhaps more the fact that it it feels like there's not many guys coming up. I i don't know. It just, if I'm WCW, you know, Hogan's early 40s flares, mid-40s, Savage is in that. Age bracket as well. These guys aren't going to be around forever and it's like you want to compare yourself to, to WWF. If I'm looking for a cool, fresh product, am I going to look to Hulk Hogan or am I going to look to Shawn Michaels in 1996? I suspect I'm going to look to Shawn Michaels. You know, he only, only turned 30 this year. You know, he, he's a guy with a, a lot of time ahead of him, you know, and I think the other thing with the WWF is that there's not necessarily a lot of other young guys at the top, but they feel fresher, like Brett's, Brett's, late 30s he feels fresher diesel's late 30s he certainly still feels fresh undertaker is how old undertaker he's actually not that old um he's i think he's only early 30s so you know you look at their kind of main event it's a younger but it's it's less about age it's more about television time it's why when i say it feels like flair and hogan and sarah's of age a lot in the last 18 months they haven't aged a lot but they've just been on television a lot and it doesn't feel as fresh anymore so you can take a guy like Hogan and Savage two of them who haven't been on WCW TV a lot I think just because they've been around forever it's just wearing a bit thin and you know in a in a month where WWF are going these guys can't do it anymore you know, they're, they're old they're over the hill I think WCW are kind of proving them true and I don't know that that's a great look when we're talking about this who knows anyway that will wrap up this month's show. First, I'd like to thank Rory McNamara. Rory, thank you very much.
4: Absolute pleasure, Bob.
2: Uh, Rory, you can be found on Twitter.
4: Yep. RorsDM is my handle. That's R-O-R-S-D-M.
2: Excellent. And Steve Halverson. Steve, thank you very much.
3: Thank you, guys. It's been uh, been great.
2: It's been a pleasure to have a Scouse accent on this show. uh, (laughs) One of the goals I I, I had going into 1996. Uh, Steve, you can be found on Twitter.
3: I can, I am, uh, uncredited, uh, BP, which is, uh, stands for bit part
2: right there we go I, we, 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 we went through it all with Kieran I, I, I'm not going to explain these Twitter handles anymore we'll just we'll no. take them as a given uh, anyway uh, yes I'll we'll keep this wrap up very short uh, WWF Volume 1 looking at the Royal Rumble uh, ECW Volume 3 looking at uh, just ECW stuff really and uh, mainly uh, ECW House Party 96 uh, Wrestling20RS.com is about all your information if you're on iTunes and you'd like to leave us a rating and a review that would be greatly appreciated uh, anyway I have been Bob Bamber this has been the WCW volume of the January 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast and until next time goodbye